Happy New Week, everybody. We've hit Monday. Uh, we'll hit the middle of February, about the 20th. Uh, good to have all your company. And good to have Sammy Hewitt back in the hot box as well. He's been filling in for Rude Dog over the last couple of weeks, so he's uh, busted off the cobwebs and got his producer hat back on. Absolutely flying. He's got his Shooter McGavin T-shirt on. He's ready to roll. So good to have Sammy back uh, alongside Manaya as well. Um, looking forward to today. So much to digest. That's the thing about Mondays. You have a couple of days of uh, no show, so it gives you three days worth of content, doesn't it? We've got a lot to cover. We're going to cover the cricket. That's Midday Madness. Call us now, actually. 0800 150 811. Get in the queue to give us your analysis of where the Black Caps are at. Or the Warriors. You can even talk to us about the Warriors as well. A couple of pre-season game, games in. Going to talk to Craig Cumming just after one on the cricket. Uh, just after two. Going to talk to Bruce Young. Um... Wonderful golf analyst, former professional caddy. We'll cover off Lydia Coe. John Rahm has just hit his last tee shot on the 18th. It looks like he's in for at least a two-shot victory there. Once again, he's on an absolute tear, uh, just carving it up, John Rahm. Uh, we'll talk to Phil Jones, former Breakers guard and New Zealand guard. Played about 14 years for New Zealand. Wonderful analyst and um, just get his thoughts about the Breakers making their NBL Grand Final, the first one in seven years, and what a comeback to form it has been for the Breakers and the atmosphere at the game last night. It wasn't there. Watched it on TV. It looked unbelievable. If you went to the Breakers game last night at some stage during the show, give us a yell. Tell us what it's like to be in there um, in, a, uh, in an elimination game. It looked fantastic. Fonzie, who is host of the Warriors Life podcast, He's great analyst of the game. Um, he's watched the trial match, matches, no doubt, against the Tigers and the Storm. How's it looking? Personnel-wise, big talking point, I think, is Sean Johnson. He'll probably start the season in the seven jersey, but from what you've seen, will he continue in the seven jersey? Interesting times as well. Um, so that, all our other bits and pieces, the vault continues. We're up to uh, 100, 150, 200 today, I think. Yep, day three. Three questions. We've had 12 questions. We're getting close. Uh, that's later on in the show. We'll have a look back in the day. Uh, what's making news? The whole shebang. But it's midday madness time. Give us a yell. 0800 150 811. Yarn cricket. Well, listen, Buster. You better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Righto. Midday Madness, you know the rules. Lines are open, 0800 150 811. Let's go to Christchurch, Mikey. G'day, Mikey. G'day, Staffy. <laughs> Give us a yell. I feel like yelling. <laughs> I can hear it Bloody... in your voice with your first word. Oh, <laughs> I, I was, um, it, was a, it was a nice day yesterday, and I thought, oh, listen, I'll, I'll put the radio on, and I dialed the spa down to pull degrees. And uh, I swear to God, that radio was almost going in that spar a number of times, chucking it in there. Like, um, <laughs> what's you know, the only thing faster than uh, the English run rate at the moment is the New Zealand slide down the test rankings. Yeah. Um, it's I, honestly, I fear for brick walls everywhere around the country because as Black Cap fans, we're pounding our heads against them. And I guess what you heard on Friday and what you're going to hear today and what you're going to hear in a couple of weeks' time is the same old thing, that we're, we're saying stuff, we're seeing stuff, but um, it seems that there's a certain uh, head-in-the-sand approach from New Zealand cricket. I've got no answers because they don't listen. So, you know. Yeah, and to me it's a little bit personnel on the field, but not much. It's direction and game plans and 
Plan Bs. It's it's a recurring theme, isn't it, with Warriors, with All Blacks, um, and now with cricket. There's no Plan A, B, or C, um, and it's conservatism. You saw Stokes and Baz um, turn the game on its head mm. on the first day. They just went, "Wow, there's an opportunity here. Let's declare." Um, so that shows a clarity of thought. But um, yeah, these other sports. Um, so you know, so cricket right now is just showing this kind of. We saw this two years ago. We've been sort of worried about it for the, a number of. I mean, cricket uh, in summer used to bring me such joy, and there was a really golden period there, wasn't there? And now uh, there's some really good players in that team. That's why I was sort of scratching my head. Like, okay, Southie's going out there. He's doing his thing. He's bowling really, really well. But then it's let down by his support. He doesn't have any support around him in terms of the bowling stakes. And then the, some of the batters who are really good batters bowled out. Mm. <laughs> the stunts clattering everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah, man. Uh, another tough... In terms of sports um, size, anyway, tough start to the year. I cannot wait for the Crusaders this weekend, so that's all I'll say about that. Start watching some winning. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mikey, I wish you and your Crusaders well. Thank you, mate. All right. Cheers, Cheers buddy. Um, that's Mikey out of Christchurch as well. Um, good friend of the show. Geez, I hope everything's all right. Northland, haven't heard from Michael from Tutakaka for a while. Good day, Michael. Hey, Steffi, how are you? Good, mate. Yeah, How's no, things up good. your neck? Oh, we got pretty smashed on Sunday night, Monday, but nothing compared to these poor guys in Hawke's Bay and Gisborne. Eh? Like, I grew up in Hawke's Bay, and I can remember bowler, and this is uh, bowlers a walk in the park compared to this, from what I can remember of it. But mm. hey, mate, we're we're like living in paradise up here compared to those poor guys. So yeah, hearts go out to all those people down there because it's just devastating, you know. It is, and it's a it's it a long it's a long rebuild and a long clean up. Oh, mate, she's a long journey back from that, you know. Like um, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's it's hard work. But listen, like this whole cricket thing, like. The, the cricketers make the, um, Robinson and, and Foster look like bloody A1, you know, but pra- practitioners. Like, th- there's something fundamentally wrong with the leadership at New Zealand cricket, right? We don't... The, the, if we'd had Bolt playing on this last test, it would have been probably a different outcome because he probably would have been able to do what Broad did to us, right? Mm. And and there's there's something... There is something that we don't know about going on between Stead and Bolt. I get, I get that he's chosen not to um, take up a contract. That's fine. It means he doesn't get paid. But if he's available to play, why wouldn't you pick him? Because it's a light and day between what's next, right? Um, we got outthought by England. Um, Stokes knew what was going to what was going to happen with a pink ball in the night session. You see it in every every pink ball test at the night session it's really hard work he put his two he put his two um swing ball um, exponents on and they just cleaned us up and uh, it's just yeah it's it's nothing's going to change because we don't want to change um i don't i think williamson needed to lead the lose the captaincy but why did they give it to Southie? why not give it to tom latham you know like there's just a whole lot of decision making going on here and you look at it and you shake your head. And we got our egos overinflated by winning that World Test Championship, which was so much good luck rather than anything else. It's not funny. And the chickens are coming home to roost. We don't, it's like the Wallabies. They let their old campaigners 
come back and play in the Wallabies Test Rugby team, right? Yep. The Australian cricketers don't need to do that because they've got such depth. It's like the All Blacks don't need to do it, probably. But New Zealand cricket does need to do it. They need to pull their heads out of their bums and remember that this is the game of all of us. That, that ground was full on Sunday, or oh, Saturday, sorry, and we didn't have our best player playing, and we got cleaned up. I had some English friends over here, Staffy, that went to the game um, yesterday. He said, oh, we're going for a short time, not a good time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's, there's something fundamentally wrong, and, and I think Stead is a big part of the problem. There's no doubt in my mind David White's an even bigger part, but yep. Yeah, we need change managers. We'll get held up and, um, the base and reserve will be just as bad. We, we, we'll get our asses kicked there again, trust me. Yeah, I feel like I'm agreeing with you as well, mate. Um, but, you know, like like your previous, like you said, you know, they don't listen, so we can rant and it's good to have a rant and, and it's good to have you guys to listen to us. But none of these sporting bodies in New Zealand just want to listen to you know, I don't say we as fans all know it all, but there's enough people with the same opinion that understand sport and all those things that we can't all be wrong, eh? I know, I know. It's a, it's a resounding chorus of agreement from the, the sporting public, and we're actually quite knowledgeable out here in the sporting public. Oh, look, we are, and we love our sport, you know. And and um, this this black cap side's been going, it's been going downhill for for, for quite a considerable time. This will they'll hit rock bottom after this, mm. and um, we don't have, at the moment. Where's the depth coming from to pull us back up? You know, it's it's. You know, I, I still I, I'm staggered they've dropped East Sodi. Same, really? Yeah, same. You know, seriously, I thought Broad was going to get ten wickets and join that club on 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 um, <laughs> on Saturday night, <laughs> and I watched that. You know, and I we lost the first wicket, and you know what? I sat there and watched it until it finished because it was actually quite good fun in the end. It was just how how much can these guys do, you know? And and look, Broad Bolt's done it before Southies done it before. These bowlers get in a groove. They're just about impossible to play. And probably one in every 15 matches they get into that groove. And Broad got into that groove the other night, mate. There was going to be no stopping him, mate. No. You wouldn't have taken that ball off him for anything. No, and it's it's good to watch for a cricket purist. That's really good to watch. Oh mate, what an outstanding um, exhibition of of swing! I mean, that ball that got Latham. I mean, what the ball before it? He got dropped in the slips because he sort of pushed at it. He decided to leave the next one, which was landed in exactly the same spot. It just took a stump out. Mm. Like, like, even Latham would have gone, yeah, mate. Pickle, got you me. Know? Yeah, that's it. You got me. So, anyway, that's my rant. It'll be interesting to see what the other guys have got to say, but it's just disappointing, you know. It really is. Mm. And and the fans turned up to support that game, right? That ground was full on Saturday. Yeah, it's a fantastic ground, and it deserved a bit better from it, it the is. Black Caps. But um, Michael, good to hear yeah. from you, mate. We've got some more calls to get to. Take care, Take care buddy. Let's go to Nick and Dunedin. G'day, Nick. There you go, mate. Hey, I don't think I think we should stop banging the drum about Bolt. Yep. I don't think Bolt a lot changed a lot in that test. You know, England only made three hundred and ninety-two. Was it the first declared in the first day? What was it? Three three eighty. Three sixty-five or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's their batters that beat us down. It's not our bowlers. It's their batters. You know, I mean, even though Wagner went for a few, it's just four slots. 
shot selection. It's just, you know, don't, don't worry about Bolt. He's done. You don't think he would have been... Not like, you don't think he would have no, got he some have done, mate. No. I might have got one. Or, I still would have got that thing, you know. It's their batting. It's an easy game, cricket. You've got to get runs. No, we're not getting runs. We're not batting well. Yeah. Poor flock, you know, we're not... It's, it's, it's an easy game. We're would not, you make would you make changes? Would you make changes to the batting lineup? I'll bring in Phillips, definitely. Yeah. Will yeah. Young. I mean Stead, um yeah, yeah, possibly young. May I listened to Ian Smith this morning at um Stephen Fleming or what you know, what a brilliant what a brilliant um talk those two had, you know, very articulate, you know. Definitely definitely the next New Zealand coach. Yeah. Yes, we need yeah, some, yeah. Some, some new thinking, I think, don't we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just, I, the bowling's not too bad. I mean, it wasn't the best. I mean, don't forget, these English boys are bloody good batters. Mm. We've just got to get some runs on the board and, you know, stick it out. Good on you, Nick. It'll be interesting time. Good on you, good on you. cheers. Cheers, buddy. Um, we'll take one more before the break. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Cliff from Dunedin as well. G'day, Cliff. Yeah, Afternoon, Stabby. Yeah, no, nah, hey, it was good listening to Steve Fleming on with Smitty this morning. I just, I listened hard to him, and I thought to myself, you're not really attacking too much. And I was thinking, are you interested in coaching in New Zealand? Because until until he gets an offer, he's always got to keep on side to an extent, you know, like yeah. until White moves on and Buchanan and Larson and, and Stead, it's the old school. And these guys, Buchanan and Stead, and, uh, have been there for years. They've been running cricket in this country for a long time. And, and they've had some good times, some easy times. You know, we, we went for a period there where we were playing Sri Lanka a lot, West Indies a lot, and they were useless. Uh, Zimbabwe, we won lots of test matches at home. We were cleaning everyone up. Then we had a wee burst there with the test championship. We, we had a run of... Test matches at home that we knocked over. We then we went to Australia after quite a few years and got beaten up, and then we finally went to England and lost three in a row. But but we managed to get that Test championship, and that was a feather in in Stead's nest, and he's lived on it. You know we've done all right in the one day form uh, with with the previous coach uh, who 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 was a lot more go. You know Stead is just too steady. He, he, he tends to look after the same blokes. You know, to, to drop um, the two guys out of the squad, the spinner and um, and the other guy, the fellow that was, but he'd had 20 wickets in uh, New Zealand four-day cricket at a good average. And they kept a guy who'd, who'd only had two wickets at about 60 runs. But he was a Northern Districts man. And to me, the team looks like it very much favours Northern and a bit of Canterbury, but it definitely favours, if you're in Williamson's nest, you you certainly look like you get a better chance of being in this squad. Uh, but, yeah, the changes, uh, gosh, if, they, if they're never going to, if they're not going to get bolt, well, they've just got to put up with the bowling attack we got, which is a bit limited. Uh, with, with Henry back, at, at least he is a good, steady bowler. He bowls good line and length. You know, these this England batting side, I looked at it, a couple of them have only been in the team five minutes, but they don't mind having a bit of a heave. They, you know, they'll hit through the line. Yeah. Um, and other fellas like Pope and, 
and the opener, they were under pressure a while ago in this side. You know, the, the batting order a couple of years ago, England looked very flaky. But now they've suddenly developed, a, a, you know, let's have a go. Let's, let's be more positive. And if we do go out, well, hopefully the next guy will make runs. And they've been making them at six and over, especially against us. You know, why, why uh, Wags bowled so badly the other night, bowling all that short and wide stuff, both sides of the wicket, went for 11. That was an embarrassment for a guy who's he's got about 270 test wickets and has bowled so well. Don't know, I don't know what the captain of Saudi thought. Well, you go out there and try and bang them out at 125 Ks, and all he ended up doing was going over the fence all the time. You know, the team is, is a bit limited. There is batting there. You know, I'd like to see Young in the side. I think he deserves to play ahead of um, oh, the guy from Wellington. Oh, no, the Canterbury boy who's who's under pressure. Henry Nichols. Um, yeah, Henry Nichols. He deserves... Henry Nichols hasn't done anything for ages. Uh, he's really struggling. But um, but at the end of the day, we've got to get rid of White and Buchanan, the two top-notch fellas, and then we can sort out the rest. Get a couple of good new coaches. You know, Flem, Flem being the uh, the honcho and maybe uh, Daniel Vittori. Get uh, Bond back in the unit. And uh, there, there's there's some good guys in the background, even though McMillan, we've got a... Our batting coach is Luke Ronke, who used to be the wicketkeeper. Yeah, now, to me, I just can't, I just can't fathom out how a guy who was a one-day wicketkeeper ends up being the test batting coach. You know, I just can't fathom that guy out, that he is up to the standard. He's no Mark Richardson. That's the guy who should be coaching the, the test team in the in batting. Mark Richardson, not not Luke Ronke. I think they've got that way wrong. Mm. Even even Glenn Turner can come up and probably pick out all their faults or Jeremy Coney. But Luke Ronke, mm, that's a tough one to, to suffer. Mm. Cliff, good chatting, mate. We've got to move yep. on. Always good chatting to you. That's Cliff out of Dunedin. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Scott from Wellington and you, 0800 150 811. Welcome back in. Um, we're talking cricket. No surprises. There we go to Scott in Wellington. G'day, Scott. Hey, Steph. How are you going? Good, thanks, Scott. Uh, it was was a bit of a hard watch, wasn't it, unfortunately? Uh, I think... Um, I mean, firstly, you know, England are obviously on the rise. They've been on the rise for a little while now and um, obviously completely changing the way that that they play and and making it more difficult for, obviously, the opposition. Um, I think as well, you know, we've been on the decline since um, the the World Test Championship final. And, um, I mean, even getting into that, we were were a bit lucky. Um, I mean, you've got to take your luck in sport and and use that, and that's exactly what we did. but we have been on the decline and we basically, we need change. We've gone stale. Um, and, and as the other callers have said, it, it needs to happen from the top first um, because you need you need fresh ideas and you look at England straight away. I mean, you know, they bring in Baz for their test team and, and he brings in new ideas and you look how well they're going. I mean, it's not saying we're going to turn around and be, be like them. But, um, you know, you need those fresh ideas to come in because, um, you know, we are too, um, as, as he's nicknamed, you know, he, he's too steady. He doesn't want to change anything. Um, and, and, I mean, Henry Nichols, as you say, is a prime example. I mean, you know, we 
personally, I think we should put Conway to four and, and Will Young needs to come in and open. I don't think he's done anything wrong. Um, and, and I mean, Glenn Phillips has to be in there somewhere. Um, you know, um, whether that's sitting in at five and pushing Mitchell to six or, or the other way around and, and have Blundell at seven. But, you know, as much as I love Michael Bracewell in there, I, I don't think he you can have him solely in there as a batsman and he can't be our number one spinner. Um, and, and then on the bowling side as well, um, you know, going into that, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're opening with Neil Wagner, which is which is not a strong point. He's he's best coming in at first or second drop, and um, you know, no disrespect to Tickner or Kugeline, but you know, they're just not good enough for for international cricket, and a lot of that reflects back onto our domestic game that it's it's just not strong enough um, to have those players coming through. Yeah, I I, I think with Tickner and Kugeline, they're being asked to do a job they they can't do. Um, it's and again, it's not their fault they're getting picked. Um, if they're picked, they play, of course. But I, I've been thinking while people have been talking to me um, this morning, Scott, about it's almost universal the talk about David White and Gary Stead to leave. Um, I'm happy for them to stay, but they need to make some hard decisions, and we haven't seen any hard or innovation from them for quite some time. Exactly, exactly. And, and I mean, that's part of being in those key positions. You know, you, you've got to make the difficult decisions. And, you know, yes, it, it's disappointing for those players that do get dropped and, and that. But I mean, if you're in any walk of life, if you're not performing, you, you generally don't keep your job, unfortunately. That's it. That's it. Good point, Scott. Always good chatting, buddy. Thanks, Steph. Have a good day. You too, mate. Uh, 12.30 news time. 0800 150 is the number. We've got Zaid on hold. We'll get to you straight after the news, Zaid, and anyone else that wants to give us a yell. To the rockin'est beat of madness. Welcome back in. 0800 150 is the number to give us a yell. Uh, let's go to Zaid. G'day, Zaid, life member. Uh, good, thank you. Was at the Breakers last night. Oh, I thought you would be. Yeah. Amazing. Um, the kids were, the kids were just non-stop screaming. <laughs> and um, oh, oh, Cheeky the Care was just running around everywhere as he usually does. Nice. Yeah. But uh, Barry, Brown, Barry Brown was immense, obviously. Well over 30 points. Um, Brooke Roscoe was on sends earlier, I think. Um, 24 from 24 from the free throw line, which is just... Um, pretty good. Obviously, um, usually usually miss a few free throws, but um, the turning point was when they bring on Rob Lowe. They struggled the first quarter. They were down by 11 at one stage, but as soon as um, the the first quarter, as soon as that finished, they never really looked back. Um, I think at one stage in the second quarter, they were up 14 points to three, um, and then they just kind of pulled away after that. Um, Gerald Brantley... Um, Derek Pardon, you know, just uh, those three imports have been so big. Obviously, going from last last season, you know, obviously um, back to the finals. And if they win, will Abercrombie retire? Obviously, been around for 15 years. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens after the season with him, if he's done, if they win or lose. Um, but, yeah, that, it's just great to see um, the Breakers, you know, kind of back to their glory days when, um, obviously, C.J. Bruton and all that were around, and um, Paul Hanare and you know Dylan Boucher, obviously all the greats at the Breakers. But um, yeah, it'll be a good final series against the Sydney Kings. Um, obviously, they've got Xavier Cooks, who's 
probably one of the best players in the league. But um, if Barry Brown does what he's done all season, then the Breakers should should have a great chance of winning the finals. Um, obviously, the Blues lost to the Chiefs, but um, it's only preseason, and the Blues, when they had their full strength team on, looked pretty good. And um, it'd be good to see how they do against the Highlanders this weekend. So I'll be looking forward to watching that um, game this weekend. Yep, the Blues are um, <clears throat> looking quite good, I think. And you're right, Zade. You can't take too much notice of preseason games, but it's uh, preseason's over and season proper. Very much looking forward to it. Um, good chatting to you, Zade. Hope you had a good weekend, and, and I trust you have a good week too, buddy. Thank you. All good. Thank you, Zade. Uh, go to Upper Hut. Talk to Gary. G'day, Gary. G'day, Steph. Hey, uh, only just sort of tuned in, so I'm not sure if people have brought it up, but have people been talking about um, Doug Bracewell and why he wasn't selected? Um, Ronnie Hero was on the show last Friday, and I, he told us he's pretty sure he's injured at the moment. Not not bad, bad, but um, interesting to know if he was fully fit, would they have been brave enough to yeah. pick an informed bowler? <laughs> because I heard him on an interview on another station and um, he didn't mention anything about being injured. In fact, he said he was actually quite surprised that he hadn't heard anything from the selectors at all. Oh. They hadn't made any contact with him. And I, I don't, I'm wondering, is, is there some hangover there with, from his bad old days with you know, um, him and, um, oh, God, the other CD guy, Jesse Ryder, you know, when they were getting in a little bit of trouble. I wonder if there's something, because it seems to they are so reluctant to pit Dougie. I know. Um, he only ever comes in as injury replacement or, you know, and oh, I swear he's still one of the best bowlers in the country. Oh, I think so too. And that's what, we, you know, when Trent Bolt goes and Matt Henry goes, gosh, um, I could understand one of Tickner or Kugelheim, but not both, especially if Doug Bracewell yeah. was fit and ready to go. Um, it's almost unforgivable, really. Yeah, I'd, I'd like someone to dig into that because, like I say, what I heard, he, he didn't sound like he was injured at all. That sounds like a very convenient excuse. Mm. Um, but And the other one, obviously, is, is um, Bolt. I mean, my God, honestly, how can we make such ridiculous bloody decisions? He lives five minutes down the road. He was available. He's the best bowler in the country, and they don't pick him. I mean, is that just being petty or what? I mean... Yeah, I felt yeah, like I it was. Like, I don't it, like that. It was a pride. It was precedence. It was a number of things. But really, the cricket fans wanted him to play. But there's always two sides to every story, and and I don't think we'll ever hear the full story until probably Trent's retired. And if he yeah, tells it, if yeah, he tells I don't know. it, Some, something a bit smellier about all of that. And, <laughs> and just one other thing that I'd like to see changed is um, I, I don't like Conway opening. I, I myself, I'd prefer Conway coming in at three, Williamson at four. And I think that just means you, you've got to get um, uh, the CD guy back there. Well, Young. Well, yeah. Um, it's either that or do you, do you go back to Jeet Ravel? I mean, his form hasn't been terrible, but it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we're screaming out for another real opener. I, I just don't think Conway's an opener. I don't think he likes the new ball. Yeah. He yeah. used to struggle a little bit with the new ball coming into his pads. And everyone's worked that out, mm. um, unfortunately. But because um, I remember when he came in the side, I remember saying to one of my good mates who I watch a lot of cricket with, "This is going to be awesome. We're going to see Conway and Williamson batting a whole day, you know, in Test cricket, and it's never happened." <laughs> he's come in. It's like I was so looking forward to those two just dominating, you know. And it's like, yeah, Williamson's just a completely changed player since that injury. Um, I don't know what's happening with him. But um, he is class, and as they say, class is permanent, forms temporary. So, you know, 
hopefully he gets gets into the groove at some stage. No, I think at some stage he will. Um, I do think, but the pressure that's on him at the moment's oh, massive. But, but um, let's oh, keep yeah, our fingers huge, crossed. Huge. Let's keep our fingers yeah, crossed. But um, I'd, I'd, someone needs to dig into that Dougie Bracewell story. I reckon there, there's something going on there. All right. I don't know. Yeah. All right. I'll get my shovel out. I'll leave it with you. <laughs> yes, mate. <laughs> good on you, Gary. Uh, always good to talk to Gary from our part, as it is to Joey out of Auckland. G'day, Joey. Yeah, g'day, Steph. Um, look, um, I heard that um, Bracewell had a hamstring problem. Uh, well, well, that's what I was on. I, I, I think it came on your station. It might have, I, I could be wrong, but it might have been on Smithy's uh, program or something. One of them said that he was, in, he was injured, and um, I think it was a hamstring or something like that. Uh, yeah, and you know, our middle order, I've said it before, staff very weak um, at the moment. And um, and look, Trent, Trent Bolt in this regime, um, in my opinion, won't play for New Zealand. They won't pick him. But their, their pride is too, is, it'll be too dented if they pick him because he is not, he decided to do what he's, what he's done. And that's fine. No problem with that. But you pick the players that you can get hold of him. If you can get hold of him, he's available. And one of your colleagues was talking about oh, payments and everything. You t- you tell him that he's going to get the same money as what everyone else gets playing for New Zealand or contracted to New Zealand. And if he says, well, I'm not a contract player, we'll say, well, I'm sorry. Uh, you either you either say, yes, I'll take it. Or you turn around and say, okay, no, I'm not available. Simple as that. It's not hard. It's not a hard issue. And, and Trent Bolt, would, if he wants to play for New Zealand again, he will turn around and say, OK, I'll play for that fee. Not a problem. And get out there. But at the moment, um, they will not pick him. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nichols is out of form. And as a number four batsman or number five batsman, um, Smithy was right when he was talking about, you know, you, you look at the other number fives around the world. You know, Steve Smith, Veron Coley, number three or four. I mean, their averages are fantastic. Ours at the moment. And you've got to, you, to win test matches, you've got to score runs. You know, you can you can leak a few um, with your bowlers, but you have to score runs. And unfortunately, we're we're, we're not doing it. We we're doing it for one innings, and then the next innings we're we're getting we're getting knocked over. We'll get knocked over again in Wellington within four days away we go. And I hope not. Don't get me wrong. I hope not. I, I'd like to see us go, go a lot better, but I mean that's just my opinion. What do you think? Oh, it's just. So many changes, but not many, if you know what I mean. I feel like there's, there needs to be wholesale changes, but, you know, sayings like baby with the bathwater come spring to mind. But I just think some changes at the top, and not not necessarily personnel, but if they're not prepared to make some changes and modify the way they approach the game and just keep doing same, 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 results going to be same, same, same. Yeah, well, my question, Staffy, too, is, is Martin Guptill has been left right out of it as well. Um, and you could, you could, if you want to change things around, you could bring him in at possibly, say, number three or four. Or n- not say three, because Williamson's three, but say number four. He could bat four, and his average, and okay, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't, at least you tried something. At the moment, they, it looks as though they're too scared to get rid of the, 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 the players they've got, because, I don't know, you might upset them, or it's, it's you know... We're giving them. We're not like Australia, where Australia used to form was, you know, was didn't matter. You know, the players like um, Marsh and that they'd be out of form, and they would be, they can afford to do that. We can't. And I just think, I think, you know, this this guy like Will Young, bring him in, give him a go. We've got nothing to lose. I mean, 
If I don't win this test series, I don't win this test series. Mm. Hey, we, we, we rebuild it. That's fine. Mm. Don't have a problem with that. But make some changes. Gotcha, Joey. And I'm with you. Good call, buddy. And with that, Joey's gone. <laughs> you can join in. 0800 150 uh, If you can't get to the phone, you just want to text the show. The Tampa Bear Post text machine number is double eight double three. Send your thoughts through and I'll get to them as well. We'll take a break and we'll come back. Got some text messages have come in. Double eight double three. You're welcome to text those through on the Tampa Bear Post text machine. Uh, from Rory, the Black Caps and the Warriors, the worst outfits I've seen since Sam Smith. <laughs> Rory. Uh, from Mark, I'm surprised Razor's fan club haven't been up in arms about him not getting the Black Caps coaching gig. He's the fix for everything, isn't he? Razor in charge of the Black Caps. I wouldn't mind. Staffy, I'd make four changes, unlike conservative Gary Stead. Here's my preferred test 11 from Richard. Latham and Conway to open. Williamson, Young, Phillips at five, Mitchell six. Then Blundell, Bracewell, Doug Bracewell. Follow, sorry, Michael Bracewell, eight, Doug Bracewell, nine, Southey, Henry. Doug deserves a spot after his efforts in the Plunkett Shield. Given, uh, sorry, give Mitchell the ball again so our three frontline bowlers aren't doing all the work. What are your thoughts, Richard? I don't mind that. I like Doug Bracewell in there. I definitely like Will Young. I'll be very surprised if Will Young doesn't come in uh, for Henry Nichols. I think Henry Nichols' time will come again. Um, but, you know, we've got a domestic competition to get your confidence and your form back. Use it. Um, but, yeah, I do think Will Young will come back in. Interesting. Will he open or come in at four? Interesting. Um, Phillips, definitely love to see him back in, Richard. Uh, so your bowling attack would have Henry and Southey opening. And then you've got Bracewell, Michael Bracewell and Daryl Mitchell as your other bowlers. Um, from Chris. Hey, lads, do we know where Ferguson is? I think we need something different. Genuine pace on the on these seamers. An opening partnership of Saudi Wags doesn't really put any fear in a batter. I also agree and don't understand why they don't pick Doug Bracewell. He's the obvious replacement for Jamison, in my opinion. Cheers, Chris. I did a little bit of looking around um, and found he spoke to media last week and said he hadn't been contacted at all. At all. As of Wednesday, I think it was. Um, so he was didn't know why. He was in Hawke's Bay, which was obviously hit by horrific weather, but he said he didn't know why he'd been contacted. So there we go. Um, 0800 150 Take our last break. When we come back, we'll talk to Scott from Taranaki and you if you want to join in. Goal.nz. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome back in. We're coming in to one o'clock where Johnny Mack will give us the new sport and weather update. But for now, we'll talk to Scott from Taranaki. G'day, Scott. G'day. Hey, Henry Nichols has been 11 innings without 100. So he hasn't done it since the series against Bangladesh last year. That, that was at Bay Oval, I think, wasn't it? I can't remember exactly. But, I mean, more chances than anyone that I've ever come across. And I see Gary Stead today came out and said he's going to back him again, which just is bizarre um, but anyway so Will Young for example 12 matches 650s I mean that's the you know that's crazy and yet Nichols gets effectively 11 matches 22 innings and he's only brought 100 to the table and he the other high score he's got is 39 mm. so I mean what is up with this if you can't 
at an international level, if you're picking your mates, you're out of a job. Like you've got no mates as a coach. You've got acquaintances and workmates. But at the end of the day, if they're not cutting the mustard, get out. Mm. Do them a so, favour. It's and doing them a favour. Is where you do it. Yes, yes, I agree. I, I absolutely agree that they're not. They just keep giving them a black cap and saying, "I know you haven't performed for twelve innings, but have another go." It shouldn't work like well, that internationally. Staffy, if you even go back further to his last hundred, the innings gap between lunch, between meals is even bigger. It's like 13, 14, 15 bats. So before he he got that, I think he got nearly a 200 or something like that. He, he batted really well. He got dropped 17 times. That doesn't matter. He still scored. He scored. But, you know, I, I, I can't work it out in my head. Like, imagine if you had 12, 12 years of bad work. I don't think your boss is going to have you around anymore, is he? <laughs> but, like... Well, well, Bill Young, what's the guy done? I mean, I, he should be batting four for me. If Conway really wants to stay as an opener, then yeah, Conway gets that right because Conway scores runs. But, I mean, he gets to choose where he wants to go. But Will Young, to me, would, I always thought, me and my mates always thought that he would be the successor to Ross Taylor. He was the natural move to four. He's, a, he's not really an opener for central districts. He's a three or four for central districts most of the time. So, in my opinion, he was always going to be that guy who was going to replace Ross Taylor. Technically, he's, you know, he's an astute cricketer. Man, he's beautiful to watch when he gets going. So, you give the guy a licence and say, you've got two years, keep your average above 40 and we'll work with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. You know, Nichols is at 37 now. His average is 37. Not good enough. Yeah. It's um, it's bewildering, and I didn't know Steed had come out saying he was backing him, and he's got, so indications are he's going to play him at the basin, yeah. He's going to play him at the basin. I can't believe it, and don't get me started on Patel. <laughs> 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 you know, he's an international quality spinner, and we just give him bits and bobs. Ah, know. you know, like if he was if he was in Australia, he'd have two hundred tests on his belt. I know. You know? It, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Scott, oh, always welcome anyway, your calls, mate. mate. I love your passion. Good on you. Mate, bye. There he is, Scott, out of Taranaki. We're coming up to the news. Hang about there, Russell. We'll take your call after the news. Uh, really keen to hear as many points of view as I can, some solutions, your observations. And, of course, the, the next test match at, I think, the best test match venue in New Zealand. I just absolutely love it. I hope we see a little bit of spine. I hope we see a bit of a return to form from Kane Williamson. Hope Matt Henry's brought back in and our opening bowlers can do a trick. But will they? I'd love to see Will Young put back in there as well. But we'll take some news. We'll come back with Russell and you after that. and talk back about the New Zealand cricket team um, I feel like we're all doves because this is what it sounds like when we cry um, we just want some some change don't we let's go to Russell and Christchurch g'day Russell hey nice song mate yeah perfect <laughs> good to hear um, from you yeah I want to talk about um, look I've been watching a lot of the uh, the white ferns play across the line and I've been watching a lot of black ferns uh, the black caps play across the line I just think Sometimes I question when we get uh, some of the uh, older players in, well, not older, but retired players in, well, you can be the batting coach now and you can help with this and you can help with that. Sometimes players don't make 
good coaches. Mm. And I just want to look at people like, you know, uh, like Latham's dismissal and a couple of the others. You look at the back lift. Now, you put your foot out to the ball, the ball's pitched up, the back lift comes. Latham's, the back lift's going at around about, what, 45 degrees sometimes, brings the bat through. The biomechanics is pretty simple. You bring your bat through on an angle, angle then straightened up, you're going to play across the slips, you're going to cut the ball, but it's not going to come through straight down the V. So I've got to question the batting coach. What are they doing behind the scenes to make sure that our guys are playing down the line? And when you play through the ball, you, you can attack the bowling. You can attack it through the ball, but not across the ball, as Sophie Devine has found out with two golden ducks playing across the line. Especially you early know, in an innings, eh, Russell? Oh, it was, it, was a, it was actually atrocious, and so was Susie Bates. But I think they did pull their head in because Susie Bates, I watched the whole game this morning, and she really, really worked hard at playing down the line and getting across the outside you know, across to the off, right to the off stump if she was going to sweep so she didn't get an LB. She worked pretty hard at it, and, of course, her and Mealy Kerr, um, good result. Hmm. But I, I've got to question some of the batting coaches. really do. Yeah, as someone brought up, Luke Ronke's the batting coach. Um, now, I've never been coached in batting by Luke Ronke, but it is a bit of a head-scratcher. Well, is it the boys' club? I mean, you look at all the... Uh, Go back to Sky commentary teams. I mean, we know what that's been like over the last 10 years. Mertz, you better come over and do a game with the Crusaders. We'll put you up in the hotel and give you a couple of bucks. Well, hold on. What about some of the locals here? Mm. I mean, I love Mertz because I'm a contemporary and I love Mertz. But, you know, it was the boys' network. It was the boys' club. And I wonder whether that's like at high level. Even at um, IPL level, you can see it happening. Um, you know, like Hethen. Got Sophie Devine, then he got another uh, another New Zealand player. I mean, yeah, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit disturbing at the moment, Russell, <clears throat> and I think that's putting it mildly. Um, thank you, thank you for your call, sir. You're welcome. Cheers, mate. Russell out of Christchurch there. Now we'll keep the cricket chat going now because <clears throat> joining us on the line now. He is the Otago women's coach and, of course, former Black Cap himself. Craig Cummings joins the show. G'day, Sid. G'day, Sappy. How are you going? Very well. Two games against uh, Canterbury in the beautiful Queenstown coming up for your girls. That, that, that's picturesque, but pretty important match for you guys. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we had, there. We had, we had a big weekend against uh, Auckland here uh, in Dunedin. And unfortunately for us, we, we lost both games, but two very good games of cricket. So I think... And so like that, probably, I think we're going to have a few, fair few miracles go away, um, beat Canterbury with bonus points, and that to give ourselves a chance next weekend. But, um, you know, that, that is the nature. It's been a really interesting competition. We've had a lot of rain in November, sort of interrupted it, and obviously in the North Island. And it's been a hard one to get any flow. You play sort of four or five games, and then you stop for uh, the Super Smash. But we had a couple of really good games against Auckland. They scored 300 in both innings, and we got 250 and then 280 yesterday. So... Um, while disappointed probably with the way uh, we bowled, Stafford, we bowled too many wides. I was delighted with the way we batted um, and, and Auckland batted well. So I think we're starting to see real movement um, in the female game when it comes to, you know, those pass scores and 
in the Super Smash, we were able to get 163 times, and now we're talking 270, 280, 300 in the 50-over game, and that's exactly what we need. But, yeah, next weekend, I think it's the Amy Satterwhite Farewell Tour. She's getting it. She's had it for quite a while, and um, while, we, while we love her as a cricketer and love her as a person, um, I'm pretty keen for her to walk off with two ducks, Snappy, to be honest, and um, I'll make a try. I'll try and make her feel good with a drink after the game. But, um, you know, but, um, it's, um, but she, yeah, she's obviously she's got 100 yesterday. And as I said, like domestically, she's getting the farewell she deserves. And um, But I'm hoping to ruin the party for her next week. Um, just on women's cricket, of course, we've got the women's T20 over, um, yep. over in South Africa. And you're at the level below, coaching the level below, um, our international team. They look like they need a little bit of help. Yes, they had a nice win today, but they should be making semi-finals. It doesn't look like they're going to. They need a miracle between uh, South Africa and Bangladesh. Are you seeing at um, domestic level uh, women able to take that step sooner rather than later? Uh, yes, yeah, in a way. Um, it was a tough one because they had to select the side around about Christmas time and you know, we're only two or three games into our into our local Super Smash competition, and there really wasn't probably an opportunity for any players to put their hands up and say, "Right, I'm ready to be selected ahead of who they have there." So when it came to the selection, they're probably you know, twelve of the fifteen players you'd probably say probably would always be there. But we've seen some emergence of players since then. Um, you know, sort of Anderson from from Canterbury's been outstanding. She got another hundred in the weekend in the fifty over game. You know, I'd like to believe I've got a couple of players in, in my team. I think um, when it comes to batting, um, exciting. But um, we've got some we've got some really good talent coming through. Uh, are they ready in the next twelve months? Probably not quite. But I think we've got the structures in place. And at the moment, I mean, there's a comment about Sophie Devine about domestic cricket. I, I think we've made big headway, Steffi, uh, in the last year, and what we're doing. We're probably a reflection of what's happened in the last four or five years right now, um, and. But uh, in the next you know, two or three years, I, I think we've got some real quality um, you know, women playing the game. And with good coaching, more cricket opportunities, more chances to tour, like they went to India with the development team, our under-19s in the World Cup, we will be OK. We've, and we've got good structures now at New Zealand Cricket with um, Liz Greens, the head of women's cricket. Um, you've got uh, Sarah McGlashan running the pathway stuff. So, you know, it's a little bit like advertising stuff. If you don't advertise, your business falls down. And as soon as you start advertising again, it doesn't bounce back up. But it takes time. And, and it will take time. But I think there's some great talent coming through. And actually, um, you know, I think we're starting to get into a good space. And again, you look at the weekend and the scores that were done. Um, we're going to get there. It's just going to take another 12 months to maybe 18 months. Yeah, that, that's, that's the feeling I've, I've had too. And uh, admittedly, I haven't watched them live. But just, you know, I just went through your teams. You're not you're not afraid of making runs. Now, you've come up short a few too many times than you'd like, a couple of rained-out games as well, but the fact that the team at the bottom of the table is still getting 260, 270, 280, it looks like we're in um, pretty good stead. Uh, the men's side, mm. men's side of the game, we've got this, this gosh, rip, S, <laughs> S and bust team of England coming over, tearing new, new ones, whichever country they go to. That was alarming what happened at Bay Oval. Yeah, it was a wee bit. I mean, it was tough because I was playing. Uh, we were playing, so you didn't get to see all of it. Um, really interesting. I, I thought we saw, you know, the tactics of the pink ball, um, you know, really change in, in what's happened in the past. And, you know, put that down to Ben Stokes and, and Brendan McCullum thinking, you know, who who would have thought you'd declare on day one um, after, what was it, 56 overs? But they were able to do that, Staffy, because they score so quickly. So anytime you get sort of over 300, 
um, they backed themselves to pick up sort of three wickets um, under lights, and they did that. And then they put us on the back foot. But in saying that, going into the second innings, it was pretty par. Uh, it was pretty even. And, you know, maybe our inexperience in our bowling attack. And again, I didn't see all of it, so I couldn't tell you exactly what was going on. But the concern for me, you know, again, we were put under lights on, on day three. Um, and, and Stuart Broad just managed to nibble the ball just enough to knock over. You know, our, our three top players and Conway, Williamson and Latham. And then, you know, we were, we were behind from then. And, you know, we've got, we've got some challenges. I mean, it does show we've got a wee hole when it comes to, you know, no Trent Bolt playing and who's going to partner Tim Southey when... But we did lose Henry and also Jamison. We, we've got to accept that. But I think batting-wise at the moment, we're, we're still trying to find that replacement for Ross Taylor. And we're trying to find the balance of our side. And I think maybe at this stage, you know, someone like Henry Nichols is... Going to do well to hold on to his place for the next one. You got Will Young sitting there ready to go. So um, they'll be sitting there playing golf pretty relaxed today, the English side, Staffy. Uh, they'll be out enjoying themselves. And I dare say uh, the Black Cats will be sitting there trying to come up with some answers because they've got quite a few questions. Are we innovative enough? Are we? It just felt like we were just going to stand at the end of the hallway with a mattress while someone th- just came sprinting at us in a game of indoor bull rush. It was like... We it looked to me like the Black Caps didn't have a plan, didn't have a okay. We know what England are going to do, and this is what we're going to do to try and combat it. We just I don't know tried to play their game, and they're better at it than us. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, you talk about that. I mean, you can only charge someone if you're in the hallway <laughs> and take them head on if you've got you've got the right person standing here ready to run. Um, otherwise, you just get knocked on your backside, won't you? So. Um, you know, we're seeing, you know, and that's what happens when you're leaders um, and I suppose the tactical side of the game and, and, and the attitude side of the game. And what they do, and it's no different than any other sport, they just put you under pressure. And then when they put you under pressure, you've got to come up with answers and, and really tough to come up with those answers on your feet when you haven't experienced it before. And, you know, you've got batters trying to hit, you know, pull shots. I saw now Wagner getting hit over long on for, for six with a short ball. Well, we're used to that getting put down someone's throat behind the wicket. Um, I don't know if we quite got the balance of our bowling attack right with Cougar line and Tickner, two are very much the same. But maybe I'm a bit biased because you had Jacob Duffy there. But I just thought maybe, you know, another swing bowler, a genuine swing bowler who's got a fantastic record, could have been given the opportunity in this test match. Uh, they've got some real questions again. You go to the Basin Reserve and the wind, and the Basin Reserve is an in-swinging ground or a left armers ground because the, the way the wind comes, it's either over the, over the scoreboard or the, or the, the northerly. So, you know, who's going to partner Tim Southey? Because he's normally bowling into it. So do you pick someone like Jacob Duffy, but it's not going to suit his swing? Do they go for bounce bowlers like they did? Matt Henry will come back into the mix, I'm sure. But... It's really tough. I mean, you know, you can't also fake tactics that you don't understand and you can't expect this black cap side to go, right, we're going to do the, the English style because we haven't done that. And that's not really part of who we are. We've just got to get really good at doing what we do. Otherwise, you get dragged in. It's a little bit like playing the All Blacks in their heyday. I mean, you know, you're trying to play 15-man rugby and go wide. Well, the All Blacks love that because as soon as you knock the ball on, they just sprinted and counterattacked and you actually fell into their strength. So... It's a beauty of a beauty of cricket, and probably Staffy. What's great about it, and you're doing it right now. You're sitting there going, "I haven't seen this before." Mm. They're doing this. What do we do? But what we're doing is we're watching. We're watching, and you know, you know, we're trying to come up with answers. And when you've got a team like England now, who are leaders in the world, we're going to find our tactics or find a way of combating it. But we're going to sit there and watch it, and that's one of the great things about um, Test cricket that we want, and it's happening, which is fantastic. 
I'd venture to say England aren't going to draw many tests. So <laughs> you can't play for draw against England. You've got to play to win. And have we got the firepower? And I'm not talking about the ones that played at Bay Oval. So players within that squad and the potential players we could have for Wellington. Have we got a squad that can take them on and beat them? Because we ain't drawing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've just got to be careful. Like, you know, batting-wise, they play their way. But bowling-wise, um, nothing's changed a lot with their bowlers. Yes, they've got, you know, Ben Stokes, who doesn't sit on his laurels and just sit back and wait. They don't, but they haven't introduced any new bowlers that are now bowling differently or doing probably with the ball what they're doing with the bat. So we, we've got a very good batting order. I mean, you've got to look at our guys at the top of the order, Conway, Latham, you know, Williamson. We, we've just got to we've just got to do our style for a long period of time. And yes, they'll score their runs quickly, but as long as we're scoring our runs with our method, we're still in the game. Um, the difference was that um, in this test match, because they scored their runs quickly, um, they were able to do things under lights and, and, and change the tactics under lights. But we go to the base and reserve, and Kane Williamson goes out there and bats 200 balls, he'll get 130. So we've just got to be careful we don't get caught up from a batting point of view thinking we've got to do what they do because we've got some world-class players. And as long as they stick to that method, and as I said, their bowling attack nothing more special than it was 18 months ago, um, we just got to put them under pressure and make Stuart Broad come back and bowl, you know, four or five spells. And then say, yes, you are a wonderful bowler, but you are ageing. And uh, let's see how your tank goes when we ask you to come back and bowl your 20th over at 22nd over. Same with Jimmy Anderson. We'll ask you to do that. Mm. I mean, you know, Leach is not the world, a world-class left-arm spinner and that he's going to spin you out. He'll get you out through pressure. But we can do that, absolutely. We've got players who have done it, and we've just got to make sure we've got plans for their batters. We'll probably need plan A, B, and C, be really well prepared, and stick to that. But batting-wise, we've just got to trust our A game. Because our A game, and it's shown over the last, you know, sort of probably eight years, it's good enough. We've just got to make sure that everyone's able to do that. Do you foresee, do we need, and do you foresee, let's go wholesale changes. Can you see anything more than three changes? Probably not, no. No, and I don't think that's part of what we do. So um, why would you, uh, you know, why make wholesale changes? Um, because all that does is create insecurity. And we don't need our team to be insecure. I mean, the one I would be looking at at the moment is probably, you know, the question mark around Henry Nichols and Will Young. So that, to me, would be a batting one. Um, I don't know if I totally agree with the balance and, and Michael Bracewell being out at number one spinner, but if we're going to play four seasons, that's been part of who we are for the last six to eight years, uh, we need a genuine opening bowler with Tim Southey. So we need someone who can take the new ball with Tim Southey and then ask Neil Wagner to do the role um, that he did. But <laughs> the irony is, Neil Wagner bowled one of the best balls he's ever bowled his first delivery and got a wicket. He just overstepped. And <laughs> could that have changed things? Maybe, Staffy. We don't know. It's the beauty of the game. And then, obviously, Matt Henry comes into the mix and then he'll look to be that new ball bowler with Southey. And then the question is, who's the third seamer to go along um, with them, with Wagner. I'll keep Wagner there, obviously. Um, so who's our third team? And you've got Cougar Line, Ticknap, and Jacob Duffy. And as I said, the base and reserve just offers up different opportunities. And you've got to have, probably have someone who could actually bowl into the wind, but also someone who can bowl down breeze. So that'll be the question. Um, I'm not sure what the pitch. It can always look very green um, at the base and reserve, but often uh, the looks don't necessarily show how it will play. Um, I'd like to see Jacob Duffy play. I think the way we beat these guys is you've got to have movement in the air. I think if we're just going to run in and hit the pitch hard with no movement, we're not going to do them with pace. 
because they actually like pace their batters. And I think, um, you know, someone like Jacob Duffy can move the ball in the air. And, and that's why they, they stand there, they swing at that first line. Well, let's make that tough on them by have someone who actually shifts the ball off that first line, and that's a swing bowler. So to me, yeah, maybe three, and one of them's normal because Matt Henry would come back in. The other one could be Will Young coming in, and I would play Jacob Duffy if he's still in the team. Do we put a line through Trent Bolt for the foreseeable future? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Um, until the Cricket World Cup, I, I think he's. I, I'd still pick him for that. Um, that would be what I'd do, Staffy. I mean, we've got to make a stage. We've got to say, you know, Trent Bolt's been a wonderful, wonderful test cricketer. And, and I've been lucky enough to watch him and commentate him through his prime and used to just love it. But we've also got to realise we've got to move on. Um, and at some stage, when is the right time to say, right, we've got to build some depth, we've got to build some experience. And you're probably going to say, well, right now, because, you know, maybe in two years' time, Tim Southey won't be far away from finishing. Mm. So then we've got to find two um, if we try and keep hanging on to Trent Bolt. Would I love to see him running in with a red ball? Oh, absolutely, would love to. But the way the game's gone, Staffy, and, and it's moving, you know, those those times have changed. So let's start. We're last in the test rankings. Yes, we want to try and win every test match, no doubt about it. We're not going to just throw someone in who we don't think is good enough just for experience. They've still got to earn their opportunity. But at some stage, you've got to say, right, we've got to move on. And in the red ball, I think we're at that stage now. We've got to find um, the next wave coming through. And then, um, but I'd still certainly pick him in the in the white ball, especially with the 50 over World Cup coming. Brilliant, Craig Cumming, he's the coach of the Otago Sparks. I wish you all the very best in Queenstown. Uh, if nothing else, the cafe scene will be fantastic. <laughs> the, the views will be magnificent. I really hope you can pick up a couple of wins against Canterbury to to round off a, I think, an improving season for the Sparks. You're well poised. Excellent, thanks, Daffy. Appreciate it. Uh, Sid, Craig Cumming there. Um, your thoughts, give us a yell. We've got, we'll keep the lines open, actually. 0800 150 811. What did you make of Craig Cummings' analysis? Happy to take your calls after the break. A big discussion points coming out of the Black Caps' performance on and off the field, management, coaching, direction, selection, the whole shebang. Let's go to Wellington, talk to David. G'day, David. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good, David. Um, I... Have to take a little bit of disagreement with Craig Cumming. I love the guy to pieces. I think he's one of the best, or was one of the best commentators that we've ever had. But I, I have been concerned for some time, and never more so now, with the shop face of our women's cricket and the shop face of our men's cricket in such poor shape as it is now. Um, and I, those are all. Those of us that are old enough to remember the 1990s will remember how poor our team, particularly the men's, were in the early 1990s. I concern myself, and I have for some time, with David White's lack of appreciation and understanding for genuine test cricket. Can you ask yourself, Mark, when was the last time there was a three-match test series in New Zealand for a test match series in this country? I can't. Well, it would have been 2018 by the terrorist thing in Christchurch. But short of that, there has been not a three-match series here. And you've got this two-match series against England, which if it rains or if England probably will beat us again, it's going to be 2-0 there. You've got Sri Lanka turning up in the middle of next month. Who the hell is going to go to that middle to late March when the rugby's on, the league is on, anything else for that matter? And then... I, I see with interest next season, 
and they keep talking about a blockbuster summer next year. You've got South Africa coming here for two test series again, not a three. And then he's got the Aussies coming here for the first time in eight years, not a three in that series again because he wants more 2020s. And I have a serious concern, um, again, with the internationals for the white birds. And it starts, in my opinion, at the top, being David White, who I believe, and I'm going to say this because I still the man is incompetent, um, Basil Fawlty, I think, could organise a better um, function at New Zealand cricket than he could. Um, and what well, he's got seriously. I mean, when you think about how poor New Zealand cricket is, when you think in three years' time that the television rights deal that he signed with Spark to get the six million dollars out of that is coming up for renewal, Spark isn't going to be there to renew it. TVNZ, who didn't want cricket 25 years ago when they let it go and Sky took over, they're not going to pay for it. So, and do you really think Sky's going to welcome them back with open arms? Uh, that's why I, I've got some grave concerns about um, the front load, let alone the teams themselves. Um, and I seriously don't know where to go. I mean, Gary Stead and the White Ferns coach as well, um, both of them are rigid, fixed, will not show any flexibility. Trent Bolt, and I heard Craig Cummings say we've got to get over that and move on. Well, I'm not so sure. I always believe that Test Cricket and um, the likes was playing your top. Well, Trent Bolt was three three streets down from Bay Oval. I mean, surely they could have made a better effort and played him. Oh, yeah. I wanted to find a way, Trent Bolt, to play as well. Um, <clears throat> I really did. I do take issue with the Basil Fawlty comparison because I'm a huge fan of Basil Fawlty. I think he'd do a wonderful job. <laughs> <laughs> it probably will on the new remake. Yeah, yeah. Good, good point. So, David, love your passion, mate. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Uh, new sport and weather. Keep your text messages coming in. I'll get to them. I promise I will get to them, but we'll take our break for news. We'll come back. We'll get a wash-up, actually, from... I think Pumawari's on leave at the moment, so I'm not sure who we'll talk to from the TRB, but we'll find out after the news. Pretty sure Pip Morris from the TRB drives a little red Corvette, and if she doesn't, she'd like to. Welcome in, Pip. Good afternoon, Staffy. Yeah, I certainly would love to. I don't, but I would love to. Oh, okay. Just stick with a Toyota Yaris for now or something like that on your on your way up to it. <laughs> you got the little bit right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, gosh, Mondays is always about wash-up for the weekend for the TAB. How did it fare? Yeah, it certainly is. We didn't do too bad, to be honest. I think a couple of the favourites obviously getting up. The Breakers, well, we did get a little bit of a nosebleed there. They were certainly well supported. But look, uh, the Panthers, well, they were certainly well back to win, staff. So the chair, we got to win there. Uh, with them going down in Golden Point. And, oh, I've got to say, we're going to miss Happy. It's a shame. Ten <laughs> seconds until you said Penrith. That's a new record. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. What did you make of the Warriors? Did you watch? I know you're a massive league fan. What did you make of the Warriors pre-season games? That was too bad. Obviously, they're missing a couple of key players this time. I thought Luke Metcalf was really good in the first game, but obviously out with injury. But I still thought they were pretty good against one of the best teams in the league, the Storm. I know it's pre-season, but there are some encouraging signs for the Warriors fans, I've got to say, Steph. Top eight? I think they can. I honestly think they might be able to. And uh, wait, wait for Wednesday. There is something coming on Wednesday from the TAB with top eight and top four. Maybe something you can multi 
uh, coming up as far around the NRL, so it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I think they could make the top eight. I think they're around 525 too, so it's uh, not a bad old price if you want to have a play at them in the but, top eight. But hold off to Wednesday, you're telling me, your big tees. Yeah, I am, I am. Hold off to Wednesday. Okay. The news coming. So what can we get on today? What do you like today? Now the football firms up against Argentina. I can tell you Argentina's taking 75% of the bets in the head-to-head for tonight at 240. But you can get Booster New Zealand to win over two and a half in the match at $5 with the two and a half goals in that match. Scotland taking all head-to-head bets so far against Namibia in the cricket at $1.43. And the NBA All-Star game, Team LeBron up against Giannis there. LeBron's still taking 50% of the head-to-head money at 165 and LeBron James All Star MVP at seven fifty, very popular in that boosted market up from six fifty. How do you say Giannis's surname? <sighs> you tell me. <laughs> 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 That's why I just say surname. <laughs> I, I, I murder the French language as it is, let alone that last name. Yeah, Antetokounmpo, I think he is something like that. Um, Ian, I see you got MVP um, odds out. LeBron at six fifty. Um, Luka Doncic at 8 and Giannis A he's at $9 it's a festival it's just about to get underway so I guess we better go and have a look at all those power plays and the options uh, Pip what else anything else you want to point us to before we head off I was a really nice dog going around in a ladder race at Addington a pal with Maggie if she hasn't gone yet uh, look out for her otherwise no just enjoy enjoy the NBA and don't forget too with the basketball on your normal matches if they are winning by 12 points your team at half time you get paid out as a winner with the PAB so a nice incentive to get involved in the game mm, I'm hurriedly looking for Opawa Annie I'm hurriedly looking <laughs> I'm looking John staff. I've been busy. It's technically my day off, but I love to talk to you, so I jumped on the phone. Oh, feel honoured. Thank you, Pip. Awesome. See you later. See ya. Pip Morris there. I'm hurriedly trying to find Opawa Annie for you. I've got up to race nine, race ten, not there, race eleven. Come on, Opawa Annie. Not there, race twelve. Not there. So it's already raced. So has she tipped out something that's already won? There's a point. I'm going to go back. Oh, this this is terrible radio, but I, I feel like you want to know and I want to know. Opawa Annie just cannot find it. I'll keep looking. I'll keep looking. Um, I did want to let you know um, on the back of the national emergency we've had, it's um, it doesn't it doesn't finished actually. So just got a little bit of information for you, which we're going to read out during the day to catch as many listeners as we can. Um, Just to let you know, so this has come from the National Emergency Management Agency for all stations to um, pass on. So here's a few points for you to keep in mind. Floodwaters, of course, they may be full of sewage, chemicals, other hazardous materials and should be avoided as much as possible. Those scenes of kids swimming in the flooded streets just made my stomach turn. So just be aware that it could be contaminated. It can carry bacteria. Um, That bacteria can contaminate food as well. So when you're cleaning up, do protect yourself. Uh, Wear properly fitted masks, goggles, gloves, pants, long pants, long sleeve shirt, gumboots, work shoes, the whole lot. Throw away any food and drinking water that's come in contact with floodwaters. Don't eat stuff out of your garden if the soil's been flooded by the floodwaters because that will be contaminated as well. In power outages, uh, please use torches instead of candles and only use camp cookers and barbecues outside, outdoors. Um, Conserve water when you're advised to. I've heard a number of messages across the country, uh, particularly 
areas where substations are out of action. So keep a listen out and don't use the water if you've advised to, if at all possible. Uh, and also, if you're going to be doing some cleaning up and digging, check the location of your pipes and cables before you dig. There is a website called Before You Dig. Uh, before then the letter U then dig.co.nz and that will show you uh, some assistance there and the best way to assist in the response is through financial donations not through donated goods the goods seem to have been taken care of Uh, I in fact tried to donate some clothes during the week and they just said we've got so many don't need them financial donations probably the Red Cross is probably the best one they are the most equipped in these emergency times and keep up to date with advice from your local uh, Civil Defence Emergency Management Group, civildefence.govt.nz, and we'll keep you advised of anything that comes out um, as the week progresses. All right, uh, we're coming up to 22. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I'll go through some of the text messages. Actually, no, we'll find out what's making news because there's more than just uh, I'm aware of and you're aware of, and Sammy Hewitt's back in the uh, back in the saddle. He'll bring it to you after this. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Welcome back, Sammy H. Thank you. Good to be back. I bet it is. Good to be back in front of the mic with the old red light on. Um, How's things? Great. Yeah, good stuff. Um, just before we get to what's making news, um, keep that text from Mark on your radar because um, I want yeah, to I talk to you about some of that. Um, what else is making news around the world? Now, I'm just going to start with one I hadn't actually written down because I just saw it before. Um, Manai is going to have to come in here and help me as well. The name of the guy who won the dunk contest this year at the uh, NBA All-Star Weekend? Mac McClung. Mac McClung. It's got a weird name. Is McClung. he the YouTuber? I mean, he plays. He, he is on a G League roster, and I think he might have just been signed to a ten-day contract to the 76ers, But uh, he's not really in the NBA. Is it fair to say that he's not your um, that you'd look at him and not think that he's a dunk contest winner? Like, he, is he quite small, quite short? He's about six three. Okay, so he's reasonably tall. But yeah. for an NBA player, that's not tall. That's true. That's, that's is, not even that's on the short side. He's six um, foot two. Actually. Six foot two. Um, well, a great little. Um, Graphic came out showing that uh, this Mike McClung, Matt McClung, has earned I think 108,000 in his NBA career, <laughs> and he got 100 grand from winning the dunk contest. <laughs> so doing a couple of dunks, and he gets more. It's almost depressing, isn't it? Just getting more from a couple of dunks and actually playing the thing that you've dedicated your whole life to. That reminds me of a guy who played in the NBA. Uh, he played with LeBron, and he got fined. And at one point, he had actually lost money in his <laughs> NBA career because the fine was greater than his Oh, that's fantastic. Salary. That's fantastic. Um, now, this one isn't... Uh, I tread carefully here, Steph, because it's a, a sad story with a comical twist. It comes from the UK, and a patient, um, a hospital patient, with absolutely no Irish background whatsoever developed a rare syndrome called foreign accent syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of this before. Um, Researchers have said the accent was consistent with foreign accent syndrome. Uh, The man in his 50s was receiving androgen deprivation therapy, Mm -hmm. which is uh, he had a cancer diagnosis, and so he was getting therapy. Uh, It's an approved treatment for patients with mestis metastatic hormone-sensitive prostate cancer. And um, following the... um, the prescription, he developed a very genuine Irish accent. 
having no ties to the land whatsoever. He just started speaking in an Irish accent. Fantastic. Yeah. And what was that, sorry? Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so um, foreign accent syndrome, never heard of it before, but apparently it's a thing. Sometimes people wake up from it. surgeries and they just start speaking in different languages. Yes. I, I heard of a woman that did that. She was an American woman and she had a horrific car accident, was in a coma for about six or seven days, woke up, spoke French. Yeah. And had no okay. idea how. But it's sort of interesting, like the French, I mean, that one's probably more remarkable. But, like, where did the Irish accent come from? Oh, right. You know, like, is he a big fan of some sort of Irish TV show or, <laughs> like, a Doc Martin or something that is an Irish character? I don't know. But he somehow picked it up. And, uh, hey, apparently um, when they did scans to find out whether this was, like, a, a neurological thing, they, they didn't find anything abnormal with his brain, but they actually found that the cancer grew. So it, it sort of <laughs> helped them in a way because they were able to find out that, you know, they wow. needed to up the treatment or whatever. Anyway, like I said, bit of a sad story with a bit of humour. Um, staying in the UK, and this one's definitely lighthearted, not for the man who was arrested though, Joby Poole, 32 years old, who uh, has been arrested and charged after he stole a semi-truck to tow away a trailer load of almost 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs. <laughs> That's a total of $38,000 for people who want to know. Um, I'm, assu- I'm assuming that might be pounds, actually. Uh, he's a metal grinder, apparently, and he used his metal grinding skills uh, to go through a gate in an industrial park. Uh, stole the semi-truck with a trailer load with cream eggs, 31,000 pounds, actually, is how much uh, it cost, and uh, was stopped very shortly after on the motorway by the uh, West Mercer Police. Obviously, he had to give the eggs back and now faces a bit of a jail sentence as well, but clearly a fan of the cream egg. Did he know they were cream eggs or just a trailer oh, full of stuff? True, actually. It's a good point. Um, you can't I, really sell cream eggs on the black market and make a bomb. Are you a cream egg fan? No. I've never really warmed to them. Are you a cream egg fan, Manoy? I don't mind them. I don't mind sure. them. Sure. You're not going to go out of your way to steal a truck I like them, the but caramel you know, ones. Yeah. Not those sickly white-filling ones. Yeah, I don't like the white-filling ones, no. But do you remember when they used to do the ads of how do you eat your Cadbury cream egg? Yeah. And they were always very different. And one of them, there was the skydiver one where he unwraps it while he's skydiving. Then there was one where the guy made like a massive contraption. You know, it like rolls down and then it goes through. It's like on his wall. And then at the end, it sort of sits in this thing and it gets cracked with like a hammer and then he eats it. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. And uh, finally, a man in Ireland um, who actually plays for uh, Wigan, which is, I don't know if that's also an Irish football team, but it's certainly an English football team, but he's an Irishman. Um, He wants, I've just got McLean here. Don't have his first name, just McLean. Um, So someone McLean um, feels like Football needs a new rule that allows the players to engage in hockey-style fights, ice hockey-style fights, wow. with a five-minute penalty. And he reckons that'll get rid of all the biff and all the, you know, all the little niggly slide tackles and everything because the threat of, I'm going to fight you if you, if you shin me, um, and then we'll just spend ten, five minutes in the bin. Thoughts on that in the game of football? I think if someone, like, milks the penalties, what do they call it? Um, Diver. Yeah, diving, but yeah. they call it... Embellishment? Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. If someone does that... Um, Scraps on. Two players from the opposition are allowed to go at him. What about if that happens in the penalty box and it's revealed, like, the replays, the referee reverses the penalty, but then the person has to stand in the goal and everyone from the other team just gets to pelt a ball at them from, the, from back. Yeah, all, all at once. Balls 11 balls all come out and they just that's your punishment. Like it. Yeah, they need some sort of punishment, I think, to, stop, yeah. to, to really deter people because the yellow card just clearly isn't enough. Um, I'll finish with a fact, if I may. Brilliant. Yeah. How have the facts been, by the way? Have they been... Pretty solid. Although I've been on... You've I been on, on different shows, actually. Oh, yeah. I've been on... That's sort of welcome show, back to you as well. Home, yeah.
Yeah, yeah. No, I had my own show back last week, but yeah, we're back together. So hit us with a fact. Um, the bystander effect. I gave you the um, false accent or um, foreign accent syndrome. Have you heard of the bystander effect? No, I have not. So scientifically proven, statistically, that people are less likely to intervene during an emergency when there's other people around because everyone assumes that somebody Someone else is going to go it. and help. The bystander effect. Ah. There you go. Never heard of it, but it makes a lot of sense. I'm definitely someone who freezes in those situations. Something happens, and I just like, what, like, what's going on? What do I do here? Do yeah, I? Have it's to fight, flight, and freeze. Hundred percent. I'm a I freezer freeze. as yeah, well. I'm a freezer. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, you know, ten liter freezer every day. Mm. I saw a fight actually between a cyclist and a motorist yesterday. Did you? Yeah, kept driving, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. But I, so I flight know, for you yesterday. Flight in that case, I didn't think I would be the guy to step out and try and restrain someone. <laughs> I felt like I'd get caught up in the middle and knocked out. Mm. So I stopped a fight once in Levin. Wow. Yeah, stopped my car. But I had yeah. a bloke with me. I said, should we go and stop that? And he yeah. said, yeah. And there was like two guys on some um, mind buzzy stuff had attacked an old guy just walking along the footpath. Jeepers. And so I stopped my car in the middle of the road and ran over with my mate and other people saw us as well. It ended up about 12 of us pulling these two wow. blokes off. But see, that's sort of scarier because you you know that they're attacking him for a reason. So they'll go after you for trying to stop it, whereas... You know, when two people are sort of going at you each other, who's right, who's yeah, wrong. they you just sort of pull them away, and they're like, "Oh, you know, they're heated and everything." So that's quite scary. Mm. Yeah. I'm more afraid of getting dusted by one or two of the parties for you know, and I don't have any skin in the game. That's what I was saying. Like, I don't want to intervene and get knocked out because a guy's stray elbow rocks <laughs> yeah. up in my dome. <laughs> no, I also you know? don't know which way. Yeah, like you say, who's in the right? Yeah, exactly. The, the third and most humiliating scenario is that the old guy dusts me for no reason anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We are no street fight. All three of us, not street fighters. Uh, we'll take a break. Right, let's get through some of the great texts you've been sending through. Double eight, double three, always open for you guys. The Tempered Bed Post text machine. Afternoon staff. This is from Graham from Marlborough, formerly Northland staff. This is probably a bit out there, but I'd bring in Will Young and drop Conway down the order, drop Nichols altogether. And bring back Hamish Rutherford, batting in that middle order. He has been consistently scoring runs for the last few years, albeit as an opener. But, hey, why not give it a go? If Doug Braceful is fit, bring him in for Wagner. And finally, if Ajaz Patel isn't in the next test, I don't think he'll ever play test cricket again. And that's a real shame and laughable. Ajaz Patel is one of the great mysteries. Absolutely one of the great mysteries. Um, more text messages, etc., to come. Um, but after the news at two o'clock, we're going to catch up with Bruce Young, our golfing friend, our analyst, former caddy, on the happenings in the world of golf around Tiger Woods, John Rahm, Lydia Ko. It's all there. Bruce Young, after the news. Prince coming at you today uh, for no particular reason. Actually, well, there is a reason. Uh, Paula, who I sit next to out in the office when I'm prepping for the show, I said, Who's your favourite concert or singer that you'd love to go and see? She said, oh, Prince, all the time. So that's what we're hearing Prince today, for no other reason. Uh, we just heard in the sports news there, wonderful return to the golf course for Lydia Ko. Incredible, really. Um, she's won two from two at the Saudi Ladies International, pocketing 700,000 rounds of 64, 69, 66, 68. Amazing for a one-shot win over Aditi Ashok. Um, just the one shot back and then a string of players on 19. But it was a very strong field. Um, so we're going to talk a number of things. Golf with Bruce Young. We'll kick off with Lydia, though, given it was just in our news. And we're very, very proud of it. Bruce Young, our fantastic golf analyst from across Australia. Before he comes to New Zealand for the New Zealand Open, Bruce, welcome in. 
Uh, good afternoon, Staff. Yes, uh, a great win by Lydia this morning, as you said. Um, her first win, I suppose, since she's been married and then with a new caddy on the bag and 700000 as you mentioned. Now, that's 700000 US dollars. And by my calculations, that's her second biggest check in the game, following on from the $2 million that she won at the Tour Championship last year. I, I, there's a certain level of hypocrisy in all this, though, isn't there? I mean, I see... You know, I'm no great fan of Liv necessarily, but um, there's been a lot of conjecture and a lot of speculation and a lot of uh, distasteful remarks about the men playing for Saudi money, wherever it might be. But here are the ladies, not an LPGA tour event, but a ladies' European tour event, playing in Saudi Arabia for a, a, a purse of five million US total purse and 700,000. There's a level of hypocrisy that there's been no noise about this, that the women are playing there but the men have copped so much criticism for playing there. And I'm, as I said, I'm not defending Liv by any stretch of the imagination, but it just seems a little bit perhaps unfair that the women aren't copping some of the criticism that men have had to put up with. Yeah, I made that point um, the other day, Bruce, that I watched the um, tour of Saudi um, part of the professional cycling um, calendar and nothing. Uh, they have motor racing there, they have mixed martial arts, they have world boxing titles and there is some hypocrisy around but away from all that, fantastic for Lydia to be back in form so soon after having quite a lengthy break as well. Um, so much golf to talk about though, Bruce. Um, John Rahm, I wanted to talk to you about John Rahm. Actually, I wrote down his last... Oh, I hope I've still got it here as I make noise. To, here it is. Since the 2nd of December, his finishing positions have been 3rd, 7th, 1st, 1st, 8th, 4th, 1st. I can't recall a run like that in men's professional golf um, in my memory. No, and it probably parallels in some respects, although better is the run of Scotty Shefford throughout the first half of last year. And, of course, Scheffler had to regain that number one position with his win, I think, last week. But John Ram, as a courtesy, as a as a result of the great run that he's on that you've just mentioned, I think he's won five of his last nine starts worldwide, has moved back to the number one position. And he probably was the number one player in the world, despite the rankings, which is starting to lose a little bit of relevance because of the amount of players playing live golf now that might otherwise, including Cameron Smith, Dustin Johnson and one or two others that may well be inside the top 50 in the world rankings. But John Ram, I think, um, deservedly is back at number one in the world. And the run that he's been on has just been simply fantastic. Can you clarify me um, the, the players in Live Golf and their qualification for majors? Um, I think we're still going to see some of them qualifying majors because of world rankings because they haven't dipped enough but maybe from next year on are we going to start seeing difference can, can you explain to me qualifying for majors well typically there's a range of criteria for the various majors but typically if you're inside the top 50 in the world you're going to get a start at the masters the open the u.s open and the pga championship there are some other criteria as well but once these guys start to slip outside the top 50 if indeed this standoff between the two organizations the pga tour and the US um, and the Live, Live Golf continues, then some of these guys will drift, out, drift outside the top 50 and not uh, be eligible. But those inside the top 50 and those that qualify through other means, such as the winners of the, the Open Championship like Cameron Smith and, and, um, and, and the winners of the Masters like Dustin Johnson in previous years and others that are playing golf that have 
that have won the Masters in previous years. They'll get all four majors now. They're entitled to play in those major championships because they're outside the uh, control of the PGA Tour. They're all um, supported and, and sanctioned by either the USGA, the US PGA, not the PGA Tour, but the US PGA Tour, um, the uh, the RNA in terms of the Open Championship, and of course the Masters is controlled by Augusta National. So all those um, players that are playing live golf at the moment will get to play in the majors this year. But as as of next year, when that uh, very important qualifying criteria criteria of being inside the top 50 uh, comes to an end, then um, things may look a bit different in 2024. Mm, yeah, as you say, previous winners, they've got almost lifetime exemption, haven't they? And 10-year exemption for other majors, I think. Is that right? Yeah, look, it varies from major to major. I think for for the Open Championship, as long as you, as long as you're under the age of 60, I think now it was 65. They might have put it back to 60, but as long as you're under the age of 60 and a previous champion, you've got to start. And it's the same at the at the Masters. I think it's a similar category as well. I think you have to be under 65 there now. But as long as you've won that event previously, you get to start. So um, yeah, look, there's a range of criteria, but uh, as I said. Uh, as these players like Cameron Smith, who was number two in the world, I think, when he went to start playing live golf, um, he's, he's now down at number four. In fact, the rankings have just come out. I think he might even have dropped to number five now. Um, those exemptions will start to wear off, and uh, it'll take a while for him to drift outside the top 50, obviously, because he's still going to get to play the majors this year, Cameron Smith, and who knows, he might win another one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and and retain much of that ranking. But for some of the others, it's going to provide a bit of a quandary for them. One player that has exemptions probably for the rest of his life is Tiger Woods made a return. And while it's not the Tiger of the of the lofty heights, you know, in the early 2000s, etc., I was amazed at how well he got it round on one and a half legs. Um, he's such a competitor threatened there for a while and I just think the fourth round um you know his body was starting to shut down what what a story this is for for Tiger Woods the golfer well that even made the weekend at Riviera I think was a a huge achievement in itself nobody really even believed when he said a week and a half ago that he was going to be teeing it up there that he would or that he could um and as we saw throughout the course of the week he was still very much favoring that foot of his and um, but that he's been able to come back two years after that almost um, life-threatening accident and the injuries that it caused to his legs more especially, that he's able to come back and compete. And that third round of 67 that he shot, well, I mean, that was simply stunning, really. OK, he faded a little bit in the course of the last round, but that's to be expected given that he's uh, walking 72 holes for the first time in those uh, two years. Uh, I think it just further highlights what an amazing athlete and an amazing competitor Tiger Woods is. So it's great to see him back. We saw the crowds there over the course of the week um, really there to support him and, and encourage him as as as, uh, as they would. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great for the game and just good to have him back. As to how much he's going to continue on playing remains to be seen. It'll be a very selected schedule, I think, over the next few weeks. I'm sure he'll play at the Masters. Whether he'll play again before the Masters remains to be seen, but wherever he tees it up, he's going to be competitive, maybe not capable of winning, but he's going to be competitive, Staff, and I think 
that's just great for the game, isn't it? Sure is. And um, great for the New Zealand Open, as Steve Elka has indicated. He's coming back to play in that. Another top 10 finish for him this week. Unbelievably, Bernard Langer is still winning. He's well over the qualifying age, but still got a fantastic game in him with 64, 70, 65. But Steve Elka, um, you'll be back here for the New Zealand Open, and so's he. Um, he's a great draw card. <laughs> Yeah, look, it is fabulous. He was a bit unlucky this morning. He lost the ball at the last hole and double bogeyed the last hole, which might otherwise have given him a top five finish, which, uh, you know, he's played just the one event earlier this year. He lost his caddy, his caddy, uh, the guy that was with him all of last year and for most of his, I think for the last three or four years, the latter part of his regular tour career and the early part of his uh, senior or champions tour career, he passed away just recently. And uh, so he's got a new caddy on the bag, um, but he, I think uh, you know. I think he finished third, or second, or third in the first event that he played this year. Continuing on from that great season last year, and now another very good week, despite that last hold, um, the, the troubles that he found on the last hole today. So it's going to be great to see him back, uh, Elka, back at the New Zealand Open. He's he's finished runner-up in it a couple of times, and I think part of the motivation for him wanting to come back and play at Millbrook is the fact that the potential exists for him to potentially win his own National Open. So he's got up against the younger guys who'll be playing off the back tees, which they don't always play on the regular tour. But the manner in which he's playing and competing staff, I think, is just fantastic. And it's fantastic for the tournament because there's a great deal of interest in Steve Elka's performances at the moment. And just mentioning Bernard Langer, I'll tell you a little story about Bernard Langer. In 1974, I caddied for Simon Owen when he won the German Open in a place called Crayfield in Germany. And in the first two rounds of that event, Simon played with a young 16-year-old Bernard Langer, who we didn't know, wouldn't known from a bar of soap at the time. And uh, he didn't perform particularly well. He was pretty nervous. And, you know, as a young kid playing his own National Open, he was struggling a little bit. But um, And Simon was asked afterwards by the German Golf Federation what they thought of their young prodigy. And, and I think Simon very diplomatically said he looks like a young man with a bit of talent, but he struggled, obviously, this week. But I think he's aged a little bit better than me, Staff, let's put it that way. At the age of six, <laughs> at the age of 65, winning his 45th Champions Tour event and equaling the record of Hale Irwin, who, of course, was such a dominant figure through the 90s and the 2000s on the PGA Tour Champions. So, yeah, he's a role model to so many people, Bernard Langer. But I, I, feel, I often feel quite proud that I was there when he played in his very first German Open in 1974. 50 years ago. Tell me about it. Jeepers, Bruce. <laughs> you're sounding magnificent. <laughs> why, why does someone like Bernard Langer keep going round? Like, financially, he doesn't have to. Is it just the love of the game? Look, I think he's, a, he's always been a very fit, uh, you know, kept himself in great shape. I'm sure he a bit like Bob Charles in that regard because of the fact that he really has looked after his body over a long period of time about what he puts in it um, and the exercise regimes he has. Yeah, obviously, he's always been very talented. He's not only won two uh, Masters Championships, so two majors, but he's also won over 100 professional events around the world. I think he's just got a, a, yeah, a, a passion for the game to, keep, to want to keep playing it through your 50s and 60s and keep keep competing when you're already pretty well established in your life, I think tells the story about Bernard Langer. But he's an amazing example. He's a, as I said, he's an amazing role model. He's got a great faith. I mean, I, I sometimes it wears a bit thin hearing 
him referring to his faith regularly. But that's kept him going in a big way, and good luck to him for that. But um, uh, I think there's a combination of reasons that makes him such a an amazing performer because he's not only been he along with Sebi Ballesteros and Nick Faldo and were changed the fortunes of European golf, and mm. they were really the key players when Europe started to turn the tables in terms terms of the Ryder Cup through the early 80s, um, early 80s, and from that point on, really. And they've, you know, every time the Ryder Cup's performed, it's 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 a toss-up to see who might win between the Americans and the Europeans. And Bernard Langer has played a big part in that. You've led into <clears throat> perfectly without even knowing, Bruce, that Paul from Christchurch <laughs> has just texted in and said, can I ask Bruce if um, live golfers are eligible to play the Ryder Cup? Uh, at this stage, no. Um, uh, there's still a lot of discussion between the well. The, it is the, the Ryder Cup is a PGA of America event. It's not a PGA Tour event. Right. But to my knowledge, at this stage, um, there's been no decision made on whether the Americans or indeed the Europeans, um, uh, the Europeans, the European side of that equation is controlled by the uh, European Tour, Keith Pelly. But to my knowledge, at this stage, there's no decision being made on whether they will um, be able to uh, participate in the Ryder Cup, which is going to be a little sad, I suppose, in some respects. But um, it's just the way it is. And until such time, there's some sort of resolution in this. The golf golfing will be still be somewhat divided. I think the first of the uh, live golf events for this year is on this coming week, if I, my memory serves me correctly. So... Um, all the hype about that will once again restart and will be once again... I mean, it's continued to be a legal situation, hasn't it, really? Mm. Uh, litigation issues carry, continue to carry on, not only between the two organisations, but between players as well. So it's an ugly scene, and let's hope there's some way they can sort it out. Yeah, the one thing I want to see out of the Ryder Cup is I would love at one Ryder Cup to see Ian Poulter as European captain. That would be compelling viewing. Well, I've just been watching episode three of uh, Full Swing, which is the Netflix new series, and it focuses on Poulter and his desire to be the Ryder Cup captain. Uh, he is passionate, as we all know, about the Ryder mm. Cup and his performances. I don't think he's yet to be—I think he's yet to be beaten in singles in the Ryder Cup. He's got a phenomenal match play record in the Ryder Cup, and much of that episode uh, was focusing on him uh, and uh, and talks a lot about his desire to be Ryder Cup captain and there could be no pa more passionate person for Europe than uh, Ian Poulter as zany as he is at times Yeah, oh, he's colourful <laughs> I, I've always enjoyed him and I always used to put a bet on him at world match play because he is built for, he's, he's a triple bogey double bogey, birdie birdie eagle kind of guy and that's what you want a match play I, just, I love him in match play hey Bruce we've got to move on really enjoyed catching up with you which we will continue to do as we build to the New Zealand Open it'll be great to have you over here Looking forward to it. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. There is Bruce Young, um, former caddy um, around the world. Interesting, he was caddying for Simon Owen at the German Open when Bernard Langer was 16. That's how long Bruce Young has been involved in the game of golf. And he'll be part of the commentary team when the New Zealand Golf Open uh, resumes here and Stephen Elka taking part, which is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, we'll have a break. We'll come back after this. Uh, I love Twitch chatting golf with uh, Bruce Young. Um, he's across everything. And he brought up the uh, full swing. And, of course, a new follower like um, Drive to Survive got Sam Hewitt involved in Formula One. Now he's got full swing. Although, admittedly, Sam, you had started getting into golf before that came out. 
I bet you're thirsty for this documentary. It's great. Absolutely loving it. Um, you're right, though. I think with Formula One, because I almost was anti-Formula One, it, it sort of changed my view completely. But with golf, it's like I love the game. And then, um, yeah, just learning some of these characters. And once again, I, I didn't follow – I haven't followed it closely the last couple of years. So this is like all new stuff to me, whereas – you know, I saw some comments from people who are very big golf fans saying, oh, it's not really interesting because it's just stuff you already know. I don't think it's made for those people. No. It's made for the casual fans. And right from the opening episode, and they said a par is the number of shots yeah. you're supposed to <laughs> exactly. get. Like, wow, okay. Yeah, but good for you. Know, that's good, okay. Yeah, and I, I like people getting attracted to sport like through these docos. I think it's phenomenally done. Once again, heaps of behind-the-scenes footage. Um, or just seeing how Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth interact. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know that you know they were sort of so close. And I actually got a little bit emotional at the end of that first one because the story of Justin Thomas, who had always played... And this is, once again, the storytelling is fantastic because always played second fiddle to Jordan Spieth. They were best friends, but he never could beat him, never won a major like Jordan had, etc. And then he's been... You know, hasn't won a tournament in so long, and then you get... You know, and I'm sort of ruining people, but then you get him winning this competition, and his dad's there, and the emotion of it, and it's just so, it's just. And Katie's like, "How, how come you can get emotional with sport and like nothing else? <laughs> like, he's no, you know, you know, he never cried anything else." Um, but I actually found the Impulter um, episode really interesting because yep. it actually gave me. And I'm not condoning live golf, and I still think it's you know it is it, it you know the human rights abuses etc. should be enough to turn those people away. However, when you think of guys like Ian Poulter, who is battling on the PGA, like he isn't make, he isn't winning every week. He's not making millions of dollars every single week, and he, along comes this opportunity where it's guaranteed money every single week. Doesn't matter where you place, you're going to be a bit of a name. Whereas on the PGA tour, you're sort of becoming irrelevant. I could. I started to understand why they've said yes to this. You know, I what understand I mean? people like Ian Poulter. I haven't fully got my head around someone like Cam Smith. Yep, totally. Um, yep, I, those ones are hard. But see, Brooks Kepka though, they did an episode on him, and you realised he's really fallen off a cliff golf wise. And for him, this is a bit of a a saving grace, as mm. it were. Um, and the thing about this too is the golfers that are going to live golf, they don't know what professional golf in the world is going to look like in three years' time. Mm. It might be harmonious in three years' time and they've, and they've got all that injection of funds. Mm. Very hard to turn your back on that injection of funds. Yeah, and the, and the hypocrisy as well, as, as Bruce Young said, that you know they're happy to play tournaments there and um, – there's European to a tournament. Like they just played in Dubai a couple of uh, things. Well, things Lydia ago. just played in Saudi. Just played in That's Saudi. where she won. And, um, you know, when you look at Man City and stuff, it's like there's jokes about them being Saudi-owned, but there's no, like, uproar towards it. There was mm. a little bit of an uproar towards Newcastle yeah. um, when they got taken over. but They just short, carry on. Yeah, they do. And it is and it is unfortunate, and I thought it was quite telling when in that um, episode they showed the question the journalist asks. I think it's Poulter. They said, oh, you know, given all these human rights abuses and blah, 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 would you, like, would you play a tournament in Russia? And he's like, oh, I'm not even going to answer that because it's a hypothetical. And it's like, well, but it is sort of a genuine question, you know? Yeah. Like, if how can you ignore, and, and Phil Mickelson gets asked as well, how can you ignore all this stuff just for money, you know? And and Ian Porter says, oh, it's a lot more complicated than that. It's like, is it? Is it? Because yeah. it's, I mean, <laughs> money's the big thing, let's be honest. But the cool thing about the Ian Poulter episode was you saw his kids and yep. his son's 18, mm-hmm. he's a big boy and he can smoke it and he thinks he knows reading <laughs> greens better than his dad. <laughs> just seeing all of that stuff yeah. is great. But I love that stuff. And and just the reason why I think I love that and Drive to Survive actually is just so much of the favourite sports that you watch is the 90 minutes on the park on a Saturday or whatever. And, yep, you get these little rivalry stories that develop during the week, et cetera, but it is it is seeing them away from the course. It's seeing the mentality. Like, I loved seeing Justin um, Thomas in that tournament that he won 
go, I think it was on after the third day where he had a bad day and he went straight to the to the um, yeah. driving, driving range. range. And his dad sort of says, oh, you know, like at times like that, it's really hard to coach someone because they're just frustrated and they just want to hit balls. And he said, that's where I've got to be a dad. You know, yeah. he said, I, I, I'm not used to being a coach, but in that scenario, you just got to be a dad and you just have to put your dad cap on. I don't know, stuff like that just really, it just humanizes them a lot mm. more. And you realize, man, these you are just. You haven't watched episode four yet, have you? That'll be tonight. <coughs> yeah, that'll that, be tonight. That, that's one on Joel. Uh, oh, everyone's talking about that. Joel Dunn. That's my favorite episode of Everyone's talking about that. I've only got to that one. I've only done four. Because isn't it about, like, he's a golfer that just isn't very good or, like, he's never going to win a tournament, but he's happy to just sit around the cut line, basically. Yeah, and he's just like, you know, I'll never be top 10. I'll never win a major, but. You know, whatever, and people go, "You're really, really good." No, I'm not. And he, <laughs> and his caddy's his best mate from college, and he was a good golfer. That's great. And they mic them up during US Open. It's I, I don't want to give too much away. It's really good, and he is so relatable. He's yeah. so normal, and he's just like, ah, oh, you know how you get a natural athlete who just goes, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll just do that. It's sort of funny that so the golf one, obviously, they've they've hit it out of the park. Drive to survivors, as we know, very good. By the way. Next season, I drive to survive out this Saturday. Um, be binging that. But they didn't really hit the mark with the tennis one. No, see, I thought the Nick Curios episode, which I think was episode one, yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. But it fell away a bit from me there, and, yeah. and I don't quite know why. And, of course, there's um, a big stink. There's, they're making one at the moment on the Six Nations, and all of the players are saying, no, you're not. Um, really? We haven't. It, it's it's our property. It's our intellectual property. You haven't asked us. You can't just bring cameras in. So <sighs> there's a bit of a stink going way on. To go with the rugby. Nations. <laughs> yeah, way, way to, to go, go rugby. Because I mean, the, like they've got all the stars in, in full swing. That's the great. The, you know, yeah. they've got the Kipkas, They've got the Rorys. They've got the Spieths and the Thomases. You know, like mm. they've they've nailed it. They just don't have Tiger. But and it's just cool. You know, the cameras in the clubhouse when they're sort of getting ready, ready to tee off, and you, and you see Rory sitting down with a couple of the golfers. They're just sitting around have a chat. Yeah. And old old jo, Joe, Joel David yeah. come, comes in, and they just sort of look at him, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. You, you always know. see them walking in, but you don't know what happens. Don't so know what happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. fantastic. I'm loving it. It is fantastic. Right, we'll take a break for new sport and weather. On the other side, we're going to catch up with Phil Jones, former Breakers guard, just a legend of the game. Well, cementing their spot into the grand final of the best of five series against the Sydney Kings uh, was the Breakers yesterday. Fantastic performance. Great game one performance, went to sleep game two over in Tasmania, woke up again and just went bang yesterday. So to talk about the the fortunes and the comeback of uh, the Breakers after a few years in the wilderness, we're joined now by former Breakers guard, an absolute icon of basketball in New Zealand over a long, long time. Uh, he is the Reefton kid, he's Phil Jones. G'day, Phil. Am I? How's things? Very, very good. Uh, pretty excited that we've made the final. It's it's a heck of a comeback story, really, the Breakers after the last two or three seasons, isn't it? Yeah, I think they've gone through a pretty big transformation in regards to culture, and uh, that's kind of showing in the way they're playing at the moment. And obviously being back in uh, New Zealand and playing in front of a home crowd makes a big difference as well. It, it, it feels to me like the important things all came right at the same time. We've got a good bunch of imports who have really bought into Breakers culture, for want of a better word. Uh, Modi Mayor, uh, a very much needed injection of enthusiasm and passion, but it's still got it all knit together, doesn't it, Phil? Yeah, it does, and I think, uh, you know, it takes a, a good head office team to make all that work, and obviously uh, the decision to bring Modi in as the coach has made, uh, made a big change. Um, it seems like they're back to enjoying playing basketball again, and it's got a grind, and um, you've got three very good imports as well, and they're uh, doing an amazing job, and they showed last night the way they played. 
I want to ask you about Barry Brown Jr. Um, always starts on the bench. He won the six-man uh, award in, in the annual awards, rightly so. Why does he start on the bench? And is there, would you think there's a temptation to put him in the starting five or it just wouldn't work? Well, I think it's a pretty good move by the breakers just because, um, you know, when they bring in that sort of the second string line or, the, you know, the, the guys off the bench, they don't lose any momentum. They they almost gain momentum with bringing in those guys off the bench. And, you know, they've got a really strong uh, group. You know, they're, they're stacked with guards, um, with Lee Arthur and uh, uh, Will, McDow- uh, Will McDowell. Uh, um and Barry, Barry Brown Jr., you know, those guys, they're all um, really strong guards. They carry the ball really well. So uh, I think it's a, um, a good a good ploy by the breakers. Uh, and, you know, Barry Brown Jr., he's, he's sort of bought into that role and uh, he's uh, running with it and he's having, having a great season. Looking at the two teams when they play at home, they're nigh on unbeatable. We saw what the breakers did to the Jack Jumpers. Two games at home just destroyed them. Um, Sydney Kings have only lost one game in the last two months at home. Uh, fortunately, that was to the Breakers, so we can beat them there. Is it is it a fact in this final series if you can get a win away from home, yeah, you're more than halfway to getting the title? Um, yeah, well, you got to win away from home really to to getting the job done. I think it's uh, probably more even even so more crucial for the Breakers than the Kings. Um, yeah, I think if the Breakers can't do that, they're going to struggle to win a championship, obviously. Um, but I think uh, having played there last time and, and getting a win over over the Kings, you know, they they know they mentally they can do it. Uh, obviously, the Kings will be uh, hurting from that loss, uh, so they won't want that to let that happen again. I think it's going to be a heck of a series, uh, and it could go either way. They've got a star in Xavier Cooks. He he's a phenomenal all court player. He's he appears at both ends. He, he's unreal. But the thing I take out of the Jack Jumpers series is Milton Doyle's a freakish player, uh, but they managed to shut him down last night, um, which was crucial because he's he's such a brilliant player. They can't afford Xavier Cooks to do a Milton Doyle on them like he did the first time. They have to shut him down right from game one. They do, yeah. And I think um, you know, the, I think these games are going to be won by how the role players step up. You know, you've got your stars and the stars are always going to attract the most attention. But it's about those players and the peripherals that actually come in and do a job. And, and you know, Leaf did a really good job last night. He scored the ball, you know, controlled the game. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that he's a, a peripheral player, but, he, but he's a guy that, you know, players need to step up in these moments because the focus is going to go on to, you know, Brown Jr., onto Pardon, um, you know, Brantley. Those guys are always going to have focus. So those other guys are going to step up and take opportunities and, and you know, knock shots down, play good defence. Um, I think that that's going to be pivotal for for the winning team. And, of course, we only get, if it goes the full, the full best of five, uh, only two are at home to the breakers. Can you tell me, as a basketballer who's played for a long time, what does a home crowd do for you? Well, you know, you hear all the old terminology that they're like a six man and, um, you know, all that type of stuff. And it's true. You know, there's there's nothing like playing in front of a home crowd just to give you a little bit of extra um, momentum and energy and enthusiasm. And, uh, you know, that was evident last night with the Breakers playing uh, in Auckland. Um, 
you know, it just does add that extra bit of intensity. And you saw that when the breakers travelled to, uh, to Tasmania and played over there. You know, their crowd was just into it from the start. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the times of uh, the crowd sitting there and, you know, being a, a nice crowd, uh, uh, you know, and watching and clapping for all plays, that's, that's got to go out the window for the next couple of games for the breakers. And I think the crowd's just got to get into it and get behind them and, and really push the breakers across the line. So how do the breakers combat, you know, you're sitting in the dressing room in Sydney, ready to go out with, you know, their home crowd is just as good as a breakers crowd. Do you, can you do something like pretend we're at home, pretend they're cheering for us, even though they're not? How, how do you combat that game one? Well, there's a couple of different ways, I suppose. One of them, you can just meet it head on and go out there and um, I think I remember... Uh, Brown Jr. on the free throw line in Tasmania, you know, Hungry Jacks is being chanted at him and he's hyping up the crowd. You know, you can either do that and, and really try and put it, put it on the crowd and try and silence them or, you know, you go in and you just stick with your unit and you think about what you need to do in regards to the one percenters. You know, taking care of the ball is crucial. Rebounding hard on the defensive end is crucial. So limiting the other, other team's offensive opportunities. You know, if you take care of those two things, um, it's going to go a long way to getting you across the line when you go on the road. And the Breakers have done an amazing job this year actually getting wins on the road. Um, so at times I've seen like they're more comfortable away from home than they have been at home. Um, you know, so hopefully that carries on into this final series. But I think take care of the one percenters, get your, get your mindset right, forget about the crowd. It's going to be loud. You can't control it. Control your actions. You know, look after how you play, how the team plays, stick together, huddle, and I think the breakers could go a long way to getting a getting another championship. Is is potentially the most important part of a, of this first playoff game the first five minutes? Yeah, it can be. It can set the tone, but you you know you saw you know basketball's a strange game. You know you can be twenty points up one minute and you can be ten points down the next. Um, it can change really quickly, and especially the way um, these guys shoot the basketball these days. Um, you know, the three-point shot is such a, a big part of the game, and you know, momentum swings um, change the flow of the game. And, and yes, it's good to get off to a good start, but I don't think you need to panic if you don't. You know, you've just got to get back to doing the right things and, and trying to slow slow the other team down, but. You know, obviously, if you can get off to a good start, that's great. But you don't want to give yourself that sort of false sense of security that, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, we've got out to a 20-point lead. Yeah, we're going to win the game easy. And all of a sudden, you don't. Um, it's going, I think it's going to be a tight... Every game is going to be tight in this series. Yeah, so exciting. And finally, Phil, um, I used to play a bit of social basketball. And in the opposition team, there was always that punishing 40-year-old guy, 50-year-old guy who still had all the moves and all the pops. Are you that guy in a summer league? Uh, <laughs> no, not <laughs> not anymore. Um, yeah, the old body's starting to break down a little bit. And, uh, you know, most of my uh, basketball these days is standing still and shooting and challenging people to shooting competitions because that's about all I, I can do. <laughs> I can't run around. Uh, I definitely can't jump like I used to be able to. Um, yeah, so, you know, I've got kids now that are... Um, overtaking me in both skill level and uh, far beyond any athleticism I ever had. So um, it's exciting to watch from that side of things. So is it golf course on the weekends instead of basketball court? What, what, what uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my new passion. Um, I was 
say it's a new passion. My wife would probably say that it's been my passion for a very long time. Um, yeah, and less impact on the body and uh, much more enjoyable to just walk around and have a bit of fun than uh, go out into a basketball court and get beat up. <laughs> Brilliant, Phil. Well, we, I guess you along with all of us are hoping the breakers can get another flag up in the rafters it'll be a, a brilliant <clears throat> return to form given what they've been over the last few years really appreciate your time talking to us today Phil uh, and enjoy your golf <laughs> yeah thank you yes. one answer can you crack the vault three questions today our contestant comes out of the mighty Waikato it's Simon g'day Simon yeah how are you Tammy? Very well, mate. Hopefully you've listened to the previous two instalments. You've got three questions yourself to try and open the vault. We've made good progress. Yeah, I listened to that one on Friday. It was uh, interesting. So my first question is, does it involve New Zealand basketball team in the 2002 World Champ? I mean, just straight into it, Steph. Right off the short run-up, you'd say. I love it. Um, Does it involve New Zealand at the what? The 2002 World Champs? Yeah. Uh, Simon, it does not. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Does it involve uh, the LA Lakers and LeBron James? Doesn't involve... Is that a two-parter, or is it, are you saying LeBron at the Lakers? Yeah, LeBron at the Lakers, that's what I'm saying. No, it does not. Oh. Okay. Now, I don't know what it is, but I reckon one of those is right. Like, it's either the Lakers or LeBron. Now, I don't know what it is, but I don't know. That's why Sam asked for clarification, you see. Yeah, I see that. It's the 1%ers. <laughs> the 1%. Okay, but another question. So, um, does it involve LeBron James winning a championship with an NBA side? I'm almost going to need some off-air clarification, Steph. Oh, are you? Do you want the question to be more simple? Um, I, yeah, let's just dismiss that for, for Simon. Is it just, I'll give you another question, and we're just going to dismiss that one because I think it's just going to complicate things. Okay. You, you said, tell does, me. You said, doesn't involve LeBron James winning a championship with an NBA team? I think you narrow that down. Just shorten that question. Is LeBron James involved in the lock, unlocking of the vault? That's a it good is. question. Uh, yes, correct. He is. He is. Right. It's LeBron James doing something. Your guess is. All right, Simon, I'm going to put that into the vault and we'll see if you're correct. LeBron James winning his last NBA championship. (gasps) You did some good work. You did some good work, Steph. You've made some surging yards. Well done, Simon. You've set it up for the next man coming off the bench, which could be you. Never know. 2.50 tomorrow, boy. <laughs> there he is. Doing our promos for us. Simon out of Hamilton. Thank you, sir. We'll take a break. Get your thinking caps on tomorrow about this time. 
Three more questions, you might be able to nail it. We'll be back after a break. Jess, welcome back in. Still a few text messages to get through that you kindly sent in about the cricket. One from Jimmy says, of course the Black Caps are conservative. Stead was the most stale opener in an era where our opening bowlers would steam in from 30 yards and bowl 110 k's. Uh, that is Gavin Larson. <laughs> bring back Guptal, bring in Phillips, give them a licence to belt the cover off the ball. Uh, Staffy, David White is taking a hammering today, but how much control does he actually have over tours to New Zealand? I'd say not a lot, Cheese Ken. I think the same, Ken. I think if David White went to the powers and said, we'd like a three-test match against England, England would have the power to say no. Um, afternoon, staff. I think the Black Caps are as bad as the Warriors. Full of promise, but that's all. They couldn't beat an egg at the moment. New Zealand cricket and the players don't pull their finger out. No top sides will come here and we'll be stuck with Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Ireland and Holland forevermore. The worst thing was that I didn't have more money on England. I put that down to the fact that I had hope. And potentially, Brian, your hope might be gone for now. Um, Go back and have a listen to the podcast uh, tab to the conversation with Craig Cumming and also to Ian Smith having a chat to Stephen Fleming. We've covered off the cricket a big big portion of today. Coming up to news with three, that means Johnny Mac is right here. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Great, uh, great movies, Purple Rain. If you've never seen it, do yourself a favour. There's a and there's a band in there called The Time. Flash somebody and The Time. Good tunes. Yeah, one of my favourites. Uh, soon we're going to talk uh, to Fonzie out of this Warriors Life podcast about the Warriors. I'm scanning the cricket pages trying to find out when they're going to name their team. Matt Henry to return is all I can find for you at the moment. Um, but we're going to have a chat, uh, Warriors. We've got Warriors half hour. I watched, I watched all of the preseason game West Tigers, and I watched about half an hour of the second half of the game against the Melbourne Storm. Of course, uh, SENZ's uh, play-by-play caller of Warriors games last season and this season, Sammy Hewitt. What have you made of uh, the Warriors? Can I just say, um, Purple Rain and the Melbourne Storm? It's quite fitting. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> isn't it? It is actually. I wonder if they, because when did Purple Rain come out? Nineties, oh, sheep is a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. so it would Pre- sort of work days. actually. It would it would sort of work? Um, well, like a very very scrappy game trial game yesterday for mm. the, both teams. I think at half time the completion rate for the Warriors is at forty percent, and for Melbourne it was at sixty or something. It was it was pretty grim uh, compared to the week before against the Tigers. Not as exciting, but a um, couple of pluses, couple of minuses. I think 
I you mentioned at the top of the show, the big question mark for a lot of people is over Sean Johnson. Um, you know, didn't have a great game yesterday. I think at one point he had contributed to 50% of the errors and we had had like 12 errors or something. Um, it's the big question mark for the whole season on where Sean Johnson's at and how he's going to be and what he's going to be like. And given we saw a very exciting Luke Metcalf against the Tigers, people are sort of wondering, you know, is that is it Luke Metcalf and Tamari Martin? That should be the halves. And then you've obviously got guys like Volkman waiting in the wings to come in as well. So... Um, interested to hear how Fonzie um, sees it, staff, but Sean Johnson probably didn't do himself any favours, to put it that way, with uh, garnering the fans' support. Be interested if anyone does want to call in. I'd be interested to hear what, how they sort of view yeah, it. Because really keen to hear what people's views are. So Actually, call us now. Call us now before we talk to Fonzie. 0800 150 You're very good, very passionate supporters. I'll take negative, I'll take positive, I'll take a watching brief view on 0800 150 11. I like the look of Metcalf in game one, yeah. Sam. Yeah, he looks, he's exciting. He's a fast ball runner. Um, people have been saying maybe he's more suited to a fullback role, which, which may be true. But um, I think the key thing, and, and I've always been a fan of, teams that generally try and put two young halves together, it never works out for them. Mm. You always have to pair them with someone who's been around the game for a while who can man manage or game manage. So you look at guys like um, James Maloney or a... Um, or a Kieran Foran, or a um, who was Blake the other Green. one? Blake Green. We mentioned Blake Green this morning. Cody Walker now at the at the Rabbitohs, and um, you put an experienced person next to the youngster to sort of pull them through. So I think if you put like a Luke Metcalf alongside a Volkman, or even <clears throat> excuse me Metcalf with Tamari Martin, who whilst Tamari Martin's a little bit more experienced, he's still relatively young and hasn't played five eight for a number of years. So I wonder if that's the only reason why you would have Sean in there. Mm. Because I don't think we're going to win a comp this year, Steph. I think it's probably fair to say no, for people. We're not, we're not going, going to win a competition. So why not focus on the future by using the players that you've got now? So for me, I think Sean stays in the role. It may not be amazing, so just be prepared for that. But I know a lot of people out there, especially reading the comments on social media, are very much um, when does Sean Johnson's contract end? This year. Yeah. Well, Do I mean, you think New Zealand fans don't have the patience of, say, an NFL, Major League Baseball, where... The fans buy into a five-year rebuild, and they just like, okay, we've offloaded these aging guys. We've got good money. We have to build. It's going to take four or five years. They they don't wane in their support of these teams who have salad dwellers for a long time, and they all rise to the top eventually and make conference semis and stuff mm. like that. Do you feel the need for immediacy on the Warriors is preventing them I don't build? Yeah, I don't think so. I actually think the opposite. I think of all our sports teams, the Warriors are the ones who are prepared to wait for success. So they've kept a lot of the fan base staff through what's been a pretty difficult 20... It's unbelievable, the fan base. 28 years, but even the last, I'd say, 10 years, right, since we made that grand final in 2011, Mm. it's been a pretty lean 12 years, yet the fans are still there in their droves. Now, we all know when the Warriors win a lot, the stadium packs out, people jump on the bandwagon. I get that, but there is still a very big loyal base of fans who love the club. And even at times, because I'm a loyal fan, but at times I get really mad. Like last year, I got really frustrated with the club. Some of the decisions they were making, I started getting quite negative. There's people that, in amongst all that, still remain positive. And I don't understand that. Um, Whereas you look at like the Black Caps or the All Blacks, and especially the All Blacks, there's no patience with the All Blacks, right? It has to happen now. So I think more so than ever though now, there is a sense from everyone I've talked to and what I see on social media that people are prepared for the next five to ten years of, of this of this club and where it's heading. So with Webster at the helm as a coach, um, with Cappy in that sort of recruitment role and the people that they've hired in the background, the, the overwhelming sense is 
We know we're building for sort of five to 10 years. We're happy to be building towards that as long as it pays off. And as long as you see improvement, right? Like if the Warriors, I think Kempi actually said it to me, he said if the Warriors finish worse than they did last season, so if they finish 16th or, God forbid, 17th, then that would be a failure because they've gone backwards. Um, And I think if you say in three years' time, if we're still not making the eight, you would see that as concerning because we're not really progressing forward. But if you see a noticeable attitude change this season, you see a noticeable fix on, say, defence in particular, um, an air account, then... I think you'd take that as a bit of a win, mm-hmm. whether we make the eight or not. But some some people are different. Like some people say, why why are the expectations that low? Like why isn't the absolute bare minimum make the top eight? And I just think we've had three very very tough years with COVID, no development, no SG ball team. By the way, the SG ball team's two from two this season. So are they? Yeah, development's starting to come along. We've always dominated those junior comps, like the under twenties and SG balls and stuff. We've actually done very well. So um, that's back, which is fantastic. We saw. Um, in the first trial game, a lot of those youngsters in there, like um, Tane uh, Tua Upuki, who's now got a full-time contract. He looks good. Very exciting player. Very keen to see him develop. Um, so, yeah, I, I. but some people say, oh, it's got to happen now. But I think you do have to develop a club. And Penrith is a prime example of, if you get it right, here's what happens. Melbourne have done it for years and years, at least. And I'd say the Bulldogs are two years into this. Yep, they're very much. Like, it's going to be a very different NRL. I tell people this, like, it's going to be a very different NRL in about five years' time. You're going to have, I think, the Bulldogs obviously will be right up there. Penrith, if, if sort of all goes well, they'll they'll maintain their sort of run. The Warriors will hopefully be a lot better. Even the Tigers, you know, with what Tim Sheens and Benji and the players they're attracting there, don't forget they're getting... Um, no, not the Tigers. Bulldogs getting Stephen Cryer next year. But they, they're starting to attract good talent to these clubs so mm. um, yeah I would be I wouldn't be surprised if in five years time the NRL is very different mm. to like in terms of the top teams Mark's just t- texted and said remember Metcalf was up against the very weak Tigers team and Sean had the storm so don't fair be so point. hard on him and I'm not a Warriors supporter that is a fair, fair point. point that is a fair point yep. I think there are only two first graders in the in the Tigers in one. the Tigers yeah. game and and like it's a trial game right so yeah, yeah you're not is. you're not basing Sean Johnson on that it's just all I said before is I don't think he did himself any favours mm. for winning the support of the fans who are very hard on George Johnson. I'll put that out there. They're very oh, but hard. T- I tell you what, I was going to say Warriors fans, sports fans in New Zealand would love Sean to find some form. Oh, he care. Would I? I'd love nothing more than him. He's he's in the twilight of his career. This is probably his last season. If he has a barn burner, he might go around one more time. I'd love him to have a barn burner mm-hmm. because when the crowd is on the back of a running razzle dazzle provider match manager of Sean Johnson. Not a better sight in a Warriors jersey. No, I agree. Mm. Yeah, no, I want the glory days back. Yeah, so we don't. We certainly don't want him gone. I want him back, and um, at his absolute peak, it would be brilliant. Right, so we'll have a break. If you've got any questions for Fonzie, he knows the NRL in and out. Massive Warriors fan as well. This Warriors Life podcast is where you will find him and his fandom, but he will join the show after this break. Welcome back in. Uh, we're talking rugby league more, specifically the Warriors, and one of the hosts of this Warriors Life podcast, Fonzie, joins us. Huge Warriors fan based in Australia, just to serve it up to them over there. Uh, Fonzie, welcome in. Uh, two preseason games down. Your summation. Afternoon, Staffy. Great to be here, mate. Uh, my summation. Well, I think the first trial was good for getting us enthusiastic and letting us um, see, get a win against some reasonably weak opposition. The second trial's probably brought us back down a bit to earth where some of the weaknesses in the squad probably got exposed and 
there's probably a few different stories we can tell about a tr- about that second trial and we can get into that. But I think at, overall at this point, we're about where I thought we'd be, which is we've got work to do, but there's some good signs and some bad signs. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to decide, do we start with good or bad? Let's start with the what are the bad signs, Fonzie? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I think the first thing is, and I, I heard you guys talking uh, live earlier, Sean Johnson yep. has picked up where he left off in 2022 in that trial. And uh, that's a concern because so much hinges both from a winning point of view, but also, you know, a spectacle and a feel-good factor around the team is Sean going well. So that was a little disappointing to see. Uh, The concerns we had around our middle forwards and whether they could do a job against physical sides like Melbourne, I think those concerns were proved to be valid. I think we struggled to match Melbourne physically in the middle. Um, And then I think in the centre position we probably haven't quite got what we need there at the moment. And, and they're all the things I think that some of us feared might be an issue, but there were some good signs too. Yeah, speaking of those middle forwards, I I don't know how long it's been since I've seen a set of six with all of the biggest guys on there taking a hit up each with ferocity, with purpose, with passion. Like every now and then against Melbourne, you saw one good charge, but that relentless nature that's required in the NRL just doesn't seem to be appearing in, in Warriors jerseys. Weekend, all of Melbourne's props, including their bench props, were sort of 110 kilo plus. And we had a guy like Mitch Barnett as starting prop. And I, I love what Mitch Barnett can do. But he's about 105 kilos. He's more fast than he is big and physically intimidating. And so, you know, a number of times he's flying off the line to put a hit on these big Melbourne props, get them before they can wind up, and he's bouncing off them, right? Because he's just not that big physical prop. And he's playing there because there's no one else that big. So Morata Nukore had a spell off the um, right edge into prop, and then we brought on our our benchies. But it's just a a weak spot in the roster at the minute, and we're looking at guys like Barnett and Nukore to do a job, but it's not their first best use, I'd say, as players. Fonzie, uh, Sammy here, mate. You, you and the Warriors Life boys um, did a good podcast with that uh, with Andrew Webster. Um, I think was at the end of last year, maybe beginning of this year. And uh, there was a really uh, interesting part in it where he talked about um, his sort of philosophy and where potentially he sees the Warriors and the game heading. And there was a hint that maybe the Ford Pack was moving towards being a not smaller, but certainly a, like faster as opposed to bigger. Um, and just sort of hearing you there talking about Mitch Barnett and those sort of guys lends itself more to the, the speed over size. Do you like buy into that from maybe Do you think that's a good direction to head in? Well, I mean, when we talk to Andrew, as you say, he said, I'm less worried about size as I am about them being fit, fast and strong. Right. So um, and then size is sort of a bonus, but you've got to have those three things. And I do think there's a bit of a trend in the NRL that way compared to having 220 kilo bookends. But I think, you know, Barnett's sort of 105 kilo. He's traditionally played in the back row and now he's playing prop. And he might come good, he might become a prop, but it's, it's just not, it's not where he spent the last 100 games playing. And I think there's a balance there. Um, and I think that we, we saw against Melbourne that if the other team's playing more your bigger prop rotation, we are just going to struggle. And to counter, there's ways to counter it, and we can play, you know, a game with faster line speed, more players in motion, in attack, all those things. But you end up having to do more work and be a bit more complex to offset just your lack of size. 
And so it might be that we can do that as we develop as a squad, but we didn't do it yesterday. And, of course, in the great game of rugby league, as in all sports, there's offence and defence. Defensively, the Warriors, do you think they've improved? I know it's only pre-season, but what have you seen from the defensive structures, the defensive patterns of the Warriors? Well, that, to me, was actually one of the high points yesterday. Um, so if you look at the, the Tigers game where we defended reasonably well, but we were running downhill all game in that match. So we ran for something like 1,900 metres to the Tigers' 1,300. So we had all the running. Mm. Yesterday, we ran for 1,900. So we ran for 1,400 metres to Melbourne's 1,900. So almost a mirror image, right, of the, the middle dominance. And yet we still went in 6-0 up at half time and our best squads were playing each other. And, and that was because our line speed was, I think, a bit improved on last year, and there was obviously good attitude and good scramble. And so those things are important. Those are things we can take away and build off. And, and guys like Barnett and Morata uh, and these sorts of players will be very good in scramble deep. So they might not, might not win the impact, but they'll be good on scramble. They'll be good at laterally and those sorts of things. So we might just have to start getting used to that, where we can feed a bit of ground, but we scramble and hold. The halves conundrum. Um, well, I guess it's the spine conundrum, but the halves and, and fullback. Are you any closer if you were the head selector for the Warriors for settling on your starting six, seven, and one? Yeah, this is hard, um, Staffy, because I've changed my mind several times in the preseason. I mean, part of you wants to say, hey, let's go all out attack and we'll find a way to get Metcalf in there. Maybe Metcalf's a fullback chance to centre and then SJ and Tenmare uh, Martin in the half, something like that. But I think um, after talking to Andrew Webster and looking at it on the weekend, I do think we need to emphasise um, yardage out of backfield, given we're going to struggle with yardage out of our middles. And so I think you need chance as your fullback. He's the best defensive fullback we've got, the best yardage fullback we've got. So if he's your fullback, then you need two creative halves. And I think at the moment it's, it's SJ and uh, Tamaru Martin with Metcalf injured and waiting in the wings. And I, I haven't given up on Sean. I think, you know, you've got to put a bit of an asterisk next to your halfback's performance when you're getting owned like that in the middle. And you tend to see veteran players maybe just not quite as motivated in trial games and to mm. prepare for trial games. You know, they play that vet card and sort of treat it a bit more lightly. So I, I, I want to be glass half full with Sean and I'd stick with him but he's going to have to sort himself out before Metcalf gets back from injury. What about, have you earmarked any of the new talent that you've seen on display so far, some of the youngsters that could, could make a mark this year? Well, I think Tommy Ale um, was, went really well in that first trial and was part of the reason we had the Tigers. We were running downhill against the Tigers, and given we lack props, I think he's a guy who could end up playing big minutes and be very important for us um, at prop this year. And so I think he's one whose stocks are going to go up through the year. Um, otherwise, I mean, we saw some good performances in the Tigers game from some of our cup players, but like uh, the, the fullback Tulpiki and uh, Sifakula, the guy who uh, played back row and got promoted to the squad, but I don't think they're NRL ready yet. So they're more ones to watch into next year. Um, yeah, otherwise I'm kind of hoping Rock or Berry comes from nowhere and puts up his hands for a centre spot and has a breakout year because we need a good centre. Um, and I thought it was almost written in the stars that the former warrior, the big man, uh, Katoa, scored a try for Melbourne going through a yawning gap and looking delighted 
to me, I'm so scared he's going to be the next one that got away. Oh, I think he will be, Staffy. And I think a lot of us, including you and I, were thinking that when we let him go. But mm. um, I, will, I will give a shout-out on the weekend. Our left edge, which had Ronald Volkman, who's you know, a rookie, very small guy, um, defending there, uh, had Jackson Ford, our left edge back rower. And I thought he was fantastic in the first half on the weekend. And he did a good job shutting Katoa down because Katoa was his man um, on their right edge. And so um, I, I took some pleasure out of that, actually, as well, that our, our edge forwards, Ford and Nyukore, went well. So we might not miss Katoa quite as much as, as we first thought. And uh, I wish him all the best, too, because you know, I really enjoy watching him play. Yeah, I just think he can be a phenomenal player for a long time. And finally, Fonzie, uh, of the other teams that have been playing in all of these pre-seasons, and, you know, Penrith got dusted. They're not the world champions. Um, I'd still argue they're probably the best club team in the world, but they haven't got the trophy to prove it. Um, who have you liked or been a bit surprised that who you haven't liked in the pre-season? Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched all of the, the games, and I, as I say, you, you've got to be careful reading too much into trials. I thought St George were particularly poor on the weekends, um, and I don't think anyone had them moving too far up the ladder, but uh, I'm having a close look at them for the spoon. They're, they're a bit long in the spoon market for mine at the moment. Um, Penrith in that game, the World Club Challenge game, I watched that very closely. It was a great game of footy. And I was sort of a little bit pleased to see some of the same rust in some of their key players that I saw in some of ours. It sort of gave me a bit of a comparison to not get too hung up on some of the errors that some of our key guys made on the weekend. Um, and, you know, I think the Sharks, the Sharks are a team that's on the up. I think they're about to consolidate themselves as a perennial sort of top four team with a stable coach. And I thought they were reasonably impressive and I think they're going to do very well. Uh, just for rugby league fans and Warriors fans, what's your schedule of your podcast release? Do you, do, do you try and get one out a week or what's your format for this season looking like? Yeah, we, we try and do weekly podcasts. Um, we sort of, fitted in around other commitments. But, yeah, we look to do weekly podcasts. There's three of us on there, so at least two can usually um, find a slot where we can open a beer and have a chat for an hour and <laughs> review the review the weekend's games and, and look ahead. And um, we always keep an ear out for uh, the information coming through from Sense because it helps us podcast better. Yeah, brilliant. Always good to have you on the show, Fonzie. And no doubt we'll uh, be in regular contact through the season as uh, Warriors push on to finish ninth and just be just out of reach, <laughs> just out of reach. But I think ninth would be a victory this year. What, what's a success for you look like for Warriors in end a regular season on the ladder? Where's your plus minus for a good season? Oh, look, if I was doing it off the ladder, I'd say 12, I think. But I'm much more interested in getting to the end of the year and feeling like we've got our defence pretty well sorted. And there's passages of play where even the good teams are scared of us. That's all I want. Perfect, Fonzie. Love it. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, Daffy. Anytime, mate. Cheers, mate. Fonzie, this Warriors Life podcast, add it to your itinerary to listen to each week. Very easy listen. And they've got great insights. And it's uh, it's not it's not like serious. It's just good banter. So it relates with all of us. Um, good roosters. Fonzie and This Warrior's Life. That's the podcast to subscribe to. We'll take a break for news, sport and weather. And after that, we'll find out how we did on the punt.
You're on Afternoons with Staffy, brought to you by Gull. They fuel your mission all year round, the great folk at Gull, and we are really appreciative here of their support in bringing you this show. Go and support them because they support us. Why not? That's the way it works in the commercial world. And just also remember all the racing action if you want to keep up with what's happened in the weekend, what's coming up as well. So all of the the replays are there, the previews of the coming up week. That is loveracing.nz. That's where you get all of your thoroughbred racing news. Uh, I've just looked at the wooden spoon. Um, St. George Dragon, 650 for the wooden spoon. And Fonzie from this Warriors Life podcast, he's not the first person to suggest St. George will win the spoon. Dolphins are the favourites to take that out at $3. The Knights at $5. Jeremy Paul in the Jeremy Paul show last Friday said he quite liked the look of the Knights this year. Really? Yeah, well, he's a Knights supporter. No, I, so. I, I have um, the Dragons getting the spoon and then the Titans and Dolphins. I actually think the Dolphins will... Not surprise people in terms of they'll make the eight, but they'll they'll win a couple of games and they'll get up off the bottom. So I've got Dragons, Titans, Dolphins all um, playing out for that. So Dragons six fifty, Titans eleven dollars, mm. Dolphins at three. I just think the Titans Warriors at six fifty. By the way, I know. Yeah, they've got the Warriors really low, which is weird. And I saw someone's predictions over the weekend. Yeah, had us finishing in seventeenth. I, I just don't see. I think we've got quality in that team, whereas. Um, like the dragons, uh, woeful. Mm. <laughs> they are woeful. Um, the ti- sorry, Ken. Um, the Titans just don't have the mental strength, and I think that's why they bought in Karen Foran because I think they're trying to get someone in there who because that was their problem last season is that their guys just switch off mentally. I mean, um, Fasuamala, Awi, and David Fafita just go missing mm. in games because they're just young and they just you know the attitude drops. They might lose Fafita as well still. So, um, yeah. One of those three. The Knights, I think I've got them pretty much staying in the same place. I think they came 14th last year. I think I've got them 14th again. I don't think they move. They haven't really. They've put Ponga into the halves, which I. They've got another signing, though, haven't they? Who's the signing they've got? Um, from they the got Tigers. Jackson Hastings, Jackson yeah, Hastings. from the Tigers. But I think the experiment of putting Ponga into the halves, they want him to get more touches on the ball. Well, James Tedesco gets the most touches for the Roosters playing at fullback. It's just how you how you how incorporate you them into them. the line. And Ponga, we all know at club level, was nothing compared to what he's like at origin. So they just need to work out how to unlock him. But I think putting him in the halves, they tried that three or four years ago, didn't work. Don't think it's going to work because... He's injury prone too. He's injury... Well, he's one head knock away almost from retirement staff. Seriously, mm. like he's a Sam Kane of rugby league. Um, rugby league. Yeah, and he missed most of last season. But... You know, you, it's one of those things as well. You put him in the halves and you lose the, the punch at fullback. You know what I mean? Whereas he's a superstar fullback and you've got Jason, Jackson Hastings to run the halves anyway. So are they um, going to play 6-7, are they? Pretty much, yeah. I think that's the plan. wonder what they've got out the back. Uh, they've got a young... There, there were two... There were two. Um, there was one guy that they've signed on. Is it, is it Bailey? Someone Bailey? And there's... Uh, Hodgson. They've got Hodgson. Um, and then there's another guy, Bailey. Um who it's sort of tossed up between which which one of those two I think are going to get Lachlan Miller was the other one name that was bandied about. Sharks? No, I think, he's, he moved I think he's with the Knights now, yeah. Yeah. They've got a couple of sort of youngsters, but, you know, they're not Caelan Ponga, that's the no, thing. No, 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 no. Geez, you've got so much fodder for running it straight on Wednesdays, haven't you? Well, we're going through, we've been going through every team. So we did f- uh, five teams last week. We're going to do five teams this week, and then we're going to do the last five or six or whatever the, ne- the following week. So... Um, yeah, we're just sort of going through, but it's, there's not enough time. One hour, no. we, you know, you run out of time to talk about Lobby it. Lobby for two hours, I'll support you. 
<laughs> Makes no difference to me, but I. Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm backing you. Um, now show me the money. Show me the money. Uh, can we review that from last week, please? Yeah, sure. Do you want me to play? Make it official, dear. Of course you? I do. Okay. Show you the money. That's not so good. Show, show me the money. money. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money, Jerry. You better yell. Show me the money. <laughs> Uh, Ken sent us a text message that he's supposed to send to someone else again yeah Jeff both of my boys have gone to Eden for this year as I said times have changed and opportunity is they both insist on there just call me happy to talk Ken send it to Jeff not us um, right show me the money give us tells a, me Ken's listening though and he probably heard what I was saying about the uh, the dragons yeah yeah that's true that's true Give us a review, Sam. Well, I don't know. I wasn't here last Friday. Manaya so was. Manaya, jump on board and let us know exactly what happened. Well, please. I'll walk you through it. Yeah. Um, England, we went head-to-head against New Zealand. I think that was the, the oh, anchor. just England to win. That was the anchor of our multi. It was huge money, though, com- considering. Well, it was $1.56 when we got on it, but it had been as, as high as $3 or something. Was Two it do- I think $2.10, and I just looked and went, you're crazy. Wow. Show yeah. me the money. Uh, so, so we saw the money from that. Yeah. Staff, uh, he saw something he liked. Breakers minus six and a half, and they absolutely thumped the Jack Jumpers. Show me the money. Wow, this is, this is looking really good. That I'm excited. Came in, $1.92. And then I duffed it uh, because <laughs> I got on Chance Nickel Kluster to bump the value up a little bit at $3. He did not score a try. Um, Wait, is it you've done the Australian Kluk Kluksta Kluksta Yeah. I just thought it's trial game I thought trial game is gonna be high scoring. Um Sean Johnson's got a six pack. Anyway. Um <laughs> Does he? You've seen the photos. The slam dunk contest. So Finn was with us oh, on this Friday. Is left field. This was great from Finn. He got on Kenyon Martin Jr. to uh, win the slam dunk contest. <laughs> At what price? Uh, $3.75. Was he the favourite? He was not. No. Oh. Mac McClung was the favourite. Was he actually the favourite? And that's because he won. Yeah. So okay. Kenyon Martin Jr. also missed. Wow. What was that going to pay out? That was, that? Uh, all up. Uh, oh, it's not in front three of me. Three and a half now. grand, I think. Was Something, like that? Half, yeah. Something like that. Uh, so close, but no cigar. I probably would have taken John Rahm just quietly. But, uh, would you really? Oh, no. Hindsight, <laughs> I don't know. I no, tell you I what, John taken Rahm top stupid. 10, just take that every week. Pretty much, just man. The guy's a freak. Yeah. Seriously. Top 10 in every tournament since, I think it's something like September. Yeah, well, there was also a graphic that came out from Golf Digest, um, I think it was last week, and it was like, since December 2021, John Rahm has beaten 96% of the golfers he's faced. <laughs> It's insane. That's <laughs> just insane. And uh, I actually got a message about um, his earnings here in 2023. So 2023, so we're talking two months. Two months. Then, yeah, end of two months. He's earned 9.4 million. That's 1.8 million per event. 470,000 bucks per round. 26 grand per hole. And 7K per shot. Seven grand a shot. Imagine just stepping up and like, who cares if you slice it into the trees? Seven grand. Thanks very much. Jeez. Also, did you get to the bottom of um, of Xander Shoffley? It was Xander who was um, hitting the ball two fairways over. Oh, uh, was um, Victor Hovland? Uh, yeah, I think you're right, Hovland. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So, I think it's the fifteenth at um, at the Genesis where he's just playing, and it, it's just a two shot par four, dog leg right. 
he went two fairways over to the right in the first Cut two the rounds. Cut the corner. Massively. Um, but you have to be so exact. And I didn't see him do it the first round, but the second round he ended up on a cart path, took a drop, had trees and a whole lot of shamozzle to get through, um, and ended up having to hit it like 200 yards for a second. He didn't time it. But they put a scoreboard there to stop him doing it. Yeah, yeah. So he went over it. Hovland proofing. It was, it was like almost right angles. I, I embrace taking something on. Yeah. Um, and I... We used to do it in um, back in my palmy days when we played a little bit of rep golf and stuff. And there was a hole at I think it was Rangatike or Levin, and we used to do that. You just carve. It was a massive dog leg, mm. and you just carved up. You just went completely left of your own fairway yeah. out to the left hand side of the next neighbour and coming across the trees. But isn't it at um, St Andrews where people use the wall? They do the chip off the wall back onto the green. So if they're up oh, against the wall, seventeen, yeah, yeah, because St Andrews there's no drops and, and stuff like that. So, really? Yeah, they've got different rules. There. Oh, weird! I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that, cool. What what is it? What do they do? Well, when you're up against, you can't drop because there's nowhere to drop because you've got oh, those I massive see. stone yeah, walls. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you take a drop, it's penalty. So they just go, they oh, hit, hit it into straight the into the wall, so it goes behind. Pings back. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I I actually, funnily enough, asked this question of a mate of mine the other day when we were playing on a course, and I hit it two fairways over unintentionally. Intentionally, mm. uh, which is probably quite common. And I said, are you allowed to do that as a pro? And they were like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can. It, you can go anywhere. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if like if they, if they that was the rule that you weren't allowed to. Because it, it does seem cheap that you can just use a fairway, you know, two holes over. If you've completely duffed your shot, you might end up on another fairway, and that's okay. That sort of doesn't. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, no, but it sort of doesn't make sense to me. It's like. You know, you should have to well, play. The, the easiest way to play a hole is use your own fairway, clearly. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like a big mistake and they don't get punished for it because it just goes the next hole over. Mm. Especially on those, sometimes they have those flat courses where the only thing separating hole A from hole B is just some trees and rough. It's like mm. they get no penalty for completely slicing it like so I there, do. There's a hole at, uh, is it Foxton? Um, and it's quite a narrow fairway. It's par five. Mm. And if you miss it to the right, you've got to get over the trees to the right. It opens up to come in for your second right, and yeah, third yeah, shot. Yeah. So when you're on that tee, you just tee it high, let it fly, mm. but give it death because if it's a miss hit, you want it to be a big miss hit. Yeah, I see. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's it's military golf, left, right, left, right, <laughs> and, and it's fine. <laughs> I don't mind that. And you said this morning that Foxy broke the record up at TRI again. Is that right? Yeah, he shot 60 on what a freak. Friday or Saturday and then played, again, played 36 holes yesterday. Played with, with Bowden. Bowden, yeah. uh, Marcus Warehouse, and another. And um, I said to Marcus uh, Warehouse yesterday that I said, I can't believe that Ryan's been this amazing golfing itinerary tour and just come home. He must be exhausted. First thing he does is goes and plays golf. Yeah, didn't like he played Singapore, was it late last week, was it? So has yeah. he just come home for a couple of Yeah, like he a week lands and, then... and he's out playing golf the next day because he said that's his happy place. He loves yeah. playing golf and he loves fishing. Yeah. So golf, fish, golf, fish, happy Ryan. Mm. Happy Ryan. Um, fingers crossed I can get him in studio this week. That'd be great. He's back for the week. Yeah. Um, I hope so. We saw his dad in, in here. Yeah, actually. we saw Grant. Yep. Grant was out in the cafe. It's so funny now that, like, Ryan's way more famous to me than Grant at this stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if I saw Ryan, I'd be running up to him Well, there'll be 20-year-olds won't know who Grant Fox is. That's true, actually. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And I just wonder what that time, what that stage in life it was, Grant Fox became Ryan Fox's dad, dad yeah. as opposed to nice. Ryan Great was question. Grant Fox's son. Great question. Uh, yeah. There we go. Um, we'll have a look back in the day after this. It's what happened back in the day. February 20, 1954.
four. Yvette Williams wins a gold medal at the 1952 Helsinki Olympics. It was only one centimetre short of the world record held by uh, Dutch phenom Fanny Blankers-Kuhn. Uh, Williams broke her long jump record 18 months after the Helsinki Olympics at a meeting in Gisborne. And the world record stood for another 18, uh, 18 months. In 2011, Trevor Bain became the youngest ever winner of the Daytona 500. Edwards has room underneath. Now he puts it Trevor Bain. It's over. Cinderella Bain is going to win the Daytona 500. Unbelievable. Happy birthday, Trevor Bain, 20 years old. Hot diggity did it. Oh, three commentators all yelling over each other. Oh, fantastic. 20-year-old he was, Trevor Bain. Uh, won by 0.118 of a second. Birthdays today. One of my favourite NBA players of all time is turning 60. Two words for you. Steve Nash and Chris Paul. Must-see TV. That's more than two words. You didn't say two words. You said quick to the point. You just said I got two words. <laughs> Steve Nash and Chris Paul must see. That's why I missed Nash and Paul. That's three words. That's three words. <laughs> oh, and has a word. <laughs> Suddenly, and is not a word. <laughs> Nash, Paul. <laughs> the round mound of rebound. Charles Barkley just loved watching him play for the Sixers. Uh, would have turned 52 if he hadn't sadly died so young. Just van der Westhuizen, one of the greatest halfbacks of all time. Uh, 52 today he would have turned 40 today Justin Verlander he is a Major League Baseball pitcher whopper Jamie McIntosh Southland legend and scrum coach for the Hurricanes this year 38 years old today happy birthday whopper and Saprit Singh Kiwi footballer plying his trade overseas he turns 24 today on this day in 1984 the number one movie was Footloose and the number one song's a ripper Van Halen jump, of course, from that era where all the heavy metal bands went glam rock, commercial, mainstream. They kept their hair, they kept their funky outfits, but they went mainstream and they made a poultice. They all did it. Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Van Halen, the whole lot. Kiss, White Snake, Twisted Sister. Look at the hairstyles hair and the leotards and the, the spandex. But why not cash in you good things? Van Halen jump, number one on this day in 1984. Coming up to four o'clock, I can see the Run Home crew getting set to entertain you from four to seven. We'll wrap it up with Afternoons with Staffy and Gull after this.